is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get around. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay. Man. Can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never-was. You're a never-was. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a new show of the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, the great and powerful greasy hair, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have a great show lined up for you, but before... We get everybody involved with this show. Speedy, what's going on, man? Excited for football in all facets. NFL, college, and even high school now. And youth sports. There's going to be a a big fusion of it in one show. Very exciting. Yes, and we have uh, a lot of different guests on the show tonight. We're going to get Long Island 495 Elite. We're going to have Gerald Filardi, Al Brown, and obviously Benjamin, Mr. Benny. Ben on the show, so we're going to introduce them in just a few moments, but we're going to go through some of the topics we're going to get into a little bit later in the show. We're going to get into Deshaun Watson, obviously negotiating a deal with the NFL. The verdict is done, 11 games suspension, and he is paying his dues to $5 million to the NFL. I am not surprised, but I am a little surprised. I don't know why he bit the bullet, but... Again, with Deshaun Watson, he just wants to get back to football. He doesn't want to deal with this crap anymore because, uh, you know, he needs to learn how to uh, stay away from those wonderful massages. You know, Speedy, have you ever had a massage before? Uh, no, I have not. You sure? Not a formal one. No. Okay. Uh, all right. So I can, I can hook you up. Maybe Ben will hook you up. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Ben, you don't need to cave into this. LeBron James signs a massive two-year, $97.1 million. Two years. Speedy, he will become, and he has become, the highest paid NBA player in NBA history. He has made over $575 million in contracts. <laughs> Do you like that, Speedy? Well, he's the first billionaire already in terms of career earnings on and off the court for any athlete. And now, why not add more money to that? Well, we'll get into that a little bit later because I have my own thoughts to LeBron James, as I believe he's the second greatest basketball player ever to play this game. I'm so tired of listening to Steph Curry, the arguments with that Kobe Bryant Give me a break. This guy's going to have all the records by the time he's done with his career. Stephen A. Smith speaks out, as always, says the Knicks could possibly have to give up to the Jazz. R.J. Barrett, and not one, not two, not three, but six first-round picks to land Donovan Mitchell. I don't know, and I have a lot of respect for Stephen A. Smith. I have no idea why Stephen A. Smith wants to sell to the New York Knicks, 
to trade their best player, their best young player, for another player that plays the same way. It doesn't make any sense. And why would you give up six first-round draft picks and pretty much choke your future away? Speedy, do you have any answers to that? Please do not do that whatsoever, Knicks. Do not cave. Uh, Well, you cave, right? What? Do you wear underwear? Yes. Okay, I'm just asking you. I mean, you do cave, right? (laughs) Cowboys likely, likely to cut... Ties with Ezekiel Elliott after this season, no matter what happens, how many yards, how many touchdowns he has, um, I, I'm i not surprised about this. 60-some-odd million dollars he got. He has not produced enough for anybody to say a running back should be making, what, $17 million a year? Uh, I, it's just unbelievable. The Cowboys have absolutely cost themselves a ton of money. And, Speedy, they have had how many playoff wins with Ezekiel Elliott? One. One. What does that sell to you? Of course, it was the one that I had to bet on and then lost, and I had to wear a Cowboys well, jersey are, on air. Well, you know, you're a loser when it comes to bets, Speedy. And your fantasy I, I won the stay. I won the first one I ever did. Was, are you trying to make excuses now? I, no, I'm, I'm telling you my trends. I won the first well, one I ever did. Well, your trends stuck. I didn't say he was good. Okay. I'm just telling right. the listeners I don't know. Just, okay, well, I'm giving That's them That's why the I don't bet. Well, anyways. Uh, I, yes, everybody, I am wearing an Oklahoma State Barry Sanders college jersey tonight yes barry sanders and yes ezekiel elliott can never shine barry sanders shoes or cleats or his underwear like speedy wax wear on his head anyways first hour of the show we are very happy to get these guys on we have ben gerald and al from 495 elite what is going on boys how you doing guys how we doing gentlemen we are good, man. I got you guys on. I got I, my, Al. I got your mic on now, so we. Okay, can how you doing? <laughs> uh, we're very happy to have you guys on. As I've been talking to Ben about everything that's going on in college sports and, and high school sports and and some of the youth football here on Long Island. There was a article written from ESPN. Ben actually sent me, and and that's what we're really going to get into because of. What we have seen right now in Long Island youth sports, especially football, how over the years we've had Rucker come come out of the spread, who's just uh, just was drafted by the New York Jets in the fourth round, and quite a few decent uh, football players that could turn out to be stars in the NFL. So I'm I'm going to introduce Ben first, and Ben, obviously, you wanted to come on, you wanted to speak a lot about what's going on in youth football here on Long Island and New York. So Ben, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. I mean, look at Speedy. You're right next to the greasiest hair I've ever seen in my entire life. Look at that. I mean, Speedy, do you ever do you ever wear mousse? Put some mousse or gel in your hair. <laughs> Jeez, or put a hat on. You're trying to scare me here. Anyways, what's going on, man? He was legendary at Bakersfield when we did the Columbia University Liberty Challenge. Speedy was uh, he was legendary that night. Yes, he's very legendary, as we all know. What he does not like to wear during the live radio shows. So, right, Speedy? Sure. We'll go with whatever <laughs> weird thing you're trying to bring up. <laughs> Alan Gerald, sorry you have to deal with all this. Oh, Al, what's going on, man? I, I've heard a little bit about you. Uh, obviously, Ben wanted to bring you on, uh, and we, we're going to talk a little youth football and Long Island football and, and what's going on in the NIT and, and what's going on in college sports. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been a youth coach for quite a while. Um, you know, obviously, when you have, you know, kids involved, you know, as a dad, you try to get involved. Um, I played football at Syracuse, the 80s. I don't want to date myself too much, but I'm an old guy. Football has been a big part of my life, and now I'm coaching um, high school. 
Um, I'm actually coaching at Erasmus Hall in Brooklyn. I spent a, a, a large majority of my football coaching career in Long Island, so I feel I have a good idea of, of what's going on in the youth game out here on the island. Gerald Filardi, we know him very, very well, played in the NFL, has a huge background of coaches here in Long Island. He, he's had a, an unbelievable career with youth sports and what Long Island sports has really turned to him and Ben have really turned this thing around here in Long Island. What's going on, Gerald? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And if you guys oh, remember, we had them. They did a radio show on our network uh, for a little while. And, uh, you know, it, it was actually pretty popular for a lot of the youth uh, football players that have followed uh, Gerald's career and what Gerald has done with youth sports and, 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 and high school sports. It's, it's growing. I really believe the transition of what the game's going to be with all these different contracts these college kids are going to get and, and everything, it's going to change everything here on Long Island. I think it's going to open up a lot of parents to put their kids into football now because of the money that they could be making going into college football. But uh, I hope so too, man. I really do. I've been saying it. So Ben, why don't we get into this article? Uh, you sent me the article. ESPN wrote a fabulous article about this right now, going on, you know, going in uh, through the last couple of years, really the last ten years of youth football and and what it's been and what it hasn't been uh, when it comes to talent coming out of Long Island like we expect it to be with all the the young talented young uh, you know players uh, football players even basketball, hockey, and, and baseball players coming out. It's one of the best written articles, football in New York. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York and Saratoga Springs in the Capital District area. And then I had moved to Long Island and realized immediately how popular lacrosse was, how popular soccer was. And football was a distant third or fourth behind all of those sports. And I guess, gosh, it's got to be like 13 years roughly now that Gerald and I got involved and we started wanting to raise the level of Long Island football. And over the years, there's been a lot of success stories. There have been guys have gone on and played division one, played in the NFL. And um, this article really talks about really kind of how New York has faded from the youth level through the college level, particularly the college level, this article talks about. And, I found it inspiring and wanted to just bring bring this back to really Long Island specifically and talk about youth football straight through the college level because we've had a ton of success raising the level of Long Island elite football. Again, we've been at this for about 12, 13 years. Uh, when I say we've been at it, I don't mean just myself or the two other guys you see here. There's a whole bunch of other people. Um, there's just so many great volunteers that have helped us do this from Nassau County, Suffolk County, going into uh, even into New York, Metro New York, um, the Harlem Jets. I mean, really, there's been no differentiation, differentiation or, or really separator in the mission. We got a lot of awesome volunteers and how we've been able to do all this is just by putting relationships first. That's it, man. It's not about anything. All of the programs that we run, money's not a factor. Yes, they have fees just like lacrosse, soccer and everything else, but we scholarship a ton of kids and we never turn a kid away for financial reasons. And it's been awesome. It's been a great journey. We had a lot of success this past year. We took some teams uh, down to return to Texas. We had one of our senior teams go down to Texas a few years ago. Um, and that age group, I think, is seniors now. That group went down. I think maybe even Al was part of that group. I don't recall. And they won some games in Texas. And then we had gone down with the senior teams to play in the New Year's Bowl in Texas. 
and spank them. They didn't score a point on our Long Island elite teams. Um, and, uh, you know, it was awesome. They didn't score a point. People were shocked down there in Texas. And it was just really the culmination of 10 years of, of hard work and not just the game and not just Long Island elite, but, but everything seeing the kids at, at Erasmus hall, seeing the kids at Holy Trinity, seeing the kids that have been part of our program at Longwood high school, the quarterback who's at Northport high school. I mean, it spans private schools, public schools, all races, black, white, Asian, like what we've done is worked so hard to raise the level of football. Um, and I'll segue to, there's still a ton of work to be done. There's a ton of work to be done. We're still way off where we need to be. And when I say way off where we need to be, it's not so much that we don't have the talent here. It's that some of the systems and the the mentality and the culture has to change if we really want to get the most and give these kids no secret. Recruiters are coming here in droves for lacrosse and soccer. There's no secret. There's no reason why that shouldn't be happening for football. And it's starting to happen. Like I said, we've had some real success. I mean, we got kids in this senior class that played for Long Island Elite, that played for PST, that played for a lot of the youth programs on Long Island. These kids have offers and they're playing at the higher level. And it's more than we've ever seen before. You've had, yes, you mentioned Jeremy Rucker and Jack Cohen. And both of those guys were products of the places that they trained and the people like Justin Call and Billy Rahm at Superior Athletics and the people that were so passionate about helping them. And uh, Jack Cohen's coach at Sayville High School who did everything to help him reach his dreams and get promoted. Like those two guys were two success stories. And now, I mean, you got a ton of success stories. You got Josiah Brown, you have KJ Duff, you have, uh, Coach Alson, Caden Brown, you have so many guys. I mean, I'm only mentioning a few, but there are a ton in this senior class that are getting offers. And it, it's more than ever before. And they're more exposed than ever before. And the talent is finally being realized. You have high school coaches that are that now have relationships with Division One colleges that they didn't have those relationships previously. And it wasn't because of necessarily because of Benjamin Carey or Long Island Elite. But guess what? A lot of those kids that got Division One offers within the networking, those high school coaches now were able to establish relationships because of that kid with those recruiters from the colleges. So there's been a synergistic, synergistic effect and it's just been awesome for everyone. And again, you see it in the public schools, you see it in the Catholic schools and I'm just so excited about it. And when I read this article about what happened to college football in New York, it's, it kind of got me depressed because we had Hofstra before and we had so many great things in New York that slowly splintered off. And here we are working against the tide at the youth level and we're making some real success. Um, so I'd love to talk some more tonight about the culture, how it needs to change so we could really meet our potential. Cause there's no secret. We have the talent here. There's no secret. We have the talented football players to go on and play at the next level. Um, but it's still, we're not nearly at our peak potential. 631-672-3108. You can call up the show. You can talk to Gerald, Al, and obviously Benjamin Carey. Uh, we are talking to Long Island 495 Elite. These guys have really pushed Long Island football to the next level, New York football, and growing as we see right now as we talk about Jeremy Rucker coming and going to the New York Jets in the fourth round, who I think is going to be a very talented piece to the New York Jets' growth in the future with the tight end position. But um, – 
you know, Gerald, you, you've been doing this a very, very long time. You played in the NFL. You know what it takes to get there. And, and the time that you played college football all the way into the NFL, what is the difference that you have seen with the league and, and the growth of all these different leagues from the youth leagues to the college and, and then all the way, all the way to the NFL? What have you seen that has changed? From when I played, obviously, the recruiting process has completely evolved and changed. You're going back to VHS tapes and mail, snail mail. So the recruiting aspect of it has changed. The platform is, is completely different. Um, which is great. I think it's it's definitely evolved, and it's give these it gives these kids the opportunity. So it actually helps us in the Northeast and on Long Island, um, you know, to get the recruiters here to see us um, when they can't get over the bridge. Um, it gives us another avenue uh, in that aspect. So because we definitely have the talent, um, but each each level is a stage, you know. And Al Al will test this. He played a little bit before me. Um, not much different, but uh, each each level from you know the youth level to the high school level to the college level to the pro level. I mean, everything has its its, its aspects as far as the level of play um, that the kids have to develop. Um, and it, you know, it starts with the fundamentals. It starts with the technique, and then building from there, building your strength, building uh, your your speed, your quickness, your agility. Um, and then it's the football IQ. As you as you develop in the game, it's understanding the game, the strategies, where to be, when to be there, um, and those are the things that make the difference. Uh, and I think that's something that we've, uh, us as coaches, have tried to install based on our experiences and what we've learned. I had a great high school coach. He, he recently passed. Integral part of my process and and my success in my football career. Uh, but if I knew the things that I knew in college, but I knew them in high school, I would have been even that much better uh, than I was. Um, so just th those little things. But my coach, uh, you know, every coach is different in, in how they affect your career and what they do. Um, he wasn't one that needed to tell me to, you know, go lift, go run, uh, get yourself bigger, faster, stronger. I did that on my own. But he gave me the guidance of, you know, keeping a level head and the avenues to to get to where I wanted to be and, and being that mentor and, and being that uh, that coach that cared. Uh, not the best as the X's and O's now that I look back on it, but he was a guy that cared for every one of his players. Um, so you have different coaches in different uh, programs and they offer different uh, different aspects. Um, and yeah, those, those players have to realize that and understand what these coaches are doing day in and doubt, day in and day out uh, to help them advance in their career. Uh, not everybody's going to make it to the college level. Not everybody's going to make it to pro level. Um, but you can be successful and have a good high school career. You could have a good college career. And obviously the pros is the pros. You know, that's the business. Al, you, you look at the, the talent that comes out, has come out from the Northeast, and, and, and really the growth of the training that some of these kids have. Uh, you know, when you played football, when you played college football for Syracuse, it was a different, you know, a different ball game. The training facilities are completely different. Now you have all these different things that you can do in Long Island, what you could do in Brooklyn, and, and to, to really do train all year round. There, there's just so many amazing things that you can do. Tell the, the fans a little bit about what the difference has changed from when you played to now with the training facilities that you guys have made out here on Long Island? There's so much opportunity for young athletes 
um, to get proper training between facilities. There's so much information out there as well with the internet and things. The information is there. The training is there. The trainers are there and the kids are willing to do it. That's the biggest change that I've seen over the years. When, when I was growing up, you, you didn't have uh, all this extracurricular training that was going on outside of the season. You basically played football during football season, then you moved on to another sport. Now you're seeing more kids specializing in a particular sport at an earlier age. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's the reality of it. That's where we are right now. And, um, you know, to a certain extent, I think we are seeing a benefit of that um, for all sports, whether you're talking about basketball, baseball, lacrosse. Um, a lot of kids are getting the proper training and learning about the game, how to play it the right way at an earlier age. That's the biggest difference that I see. And um, like Gerald mentioned, the whole recruiting game is totally different. You know, before you just kind of went to school, you played, you know, and you hope the coach came and visit and watched some tape and had a conversation with your coach. And then it kind of went from there. Nowadays, there's a million uh, camps that these colleges hold that, you know, an informed parent can take their child and um, take them to these camps. And if they perform well, that's just another avenue, another way that they can um, kind of get on the radar with some of these college coaches. That's that's a great point. And I'd love to get into the culture on Long Island from the youth level right through college and really the meat and potatoes of, of this this show. I think overwhelmingly for the younger kids, having a kid that's a multi-sport athlete and having them involved in different sports is great. But the reality also is, is we are seeing things now at the older age groups. These kids are doing things and that they've never done before. The one-handed catches and all the spectacular things that you're seeing at the college level. Let's face it, a lot of the stuff that is happening now hasn't happened before. And it's a result of the specialized training at such an early age. And while I'm not a huge advocate for specialized and only doing one sport, the reality is for football, these kids that are training with trainers, they're simply the best. They're head and shoulders above the kids who aren't working with trainers. And every once in a while, I experience and, and hear certain things and deal with certain kids that are playing ball. One of the things that needs to change, and I hear this more often than not, that high school coaches are either forbidding or asking their trainers not to train with a private trainer. And to me, that's just bananas. And I'd like, I'm going to go, I'd like to bring up a few things and I'd like to hear everybody's <clears throat> thoughts on it. Um, but the reality is these kids like the Jack Cohen's and the kids that have all these offers right now at such a young age and everything else, they're working with trainers and what kind, what kind of, coach tells a kid not to do something that's going to benefit their performance, like going to benefit their team, benefit their career, benefit their teammates. And look, I get it. If it's close to season and you don't want to get a kid getting hurt. I mean, there are legitimate gripes and that sort of thing, but I'm, I've heard straight out whether it's for, you know, I don't know if it's ego reasons. Some of these guys are definitely egomaniacs, but like, I don't, I've heard straight out that high school coaches have, specifically forbid kids to work with outside trainers and you know who you are like there are specific coaches and specific examples and i'm not here to drop names but that's something 
that has to change. I'm just being candid with you. That has to change. And it benefits the kids to work with a strength training coach, to work with James Brady. He's the best quarterback coach, one of the best in the country. You look at a kid that James Brady has had between eight years old and 10 years old, and you measure up a 10-year-old kid who's never had QB training. That kid's three-step drop, five-step drop, if he even knows what they are and all the basics for QB fundamentals, are not going to be nearly as good as the other 10-year-olds. And Guys, they're not doing it at eight and 10 years old. They're doing it at seven years old. And guess what? In Atlanta and Georgia and California and all these other places, they're doing it at five, six, seven years old. So that's the reality of it. And we need more high school coaches to understand, look, you're not losing the kid. That, that, that trainer is not taking him and telling them to do different things than you might be doing as their high school coach. So let go. Encourage these kids to train with the private trainers. Um, some of these guys are doing it for $10 a session. It's not a money grab. It's not that the rich kids are training with the private trainers and they're getting better. It's not about the money because I know guys at revolution athletics and superior athletics and a lot of these other places that are training a very large amount of kids for free who can't afford it. So again, high school coaches telling you kid, don't train with a trainer, whether it's a running back coach, a strength coach, a quarterback coach that's hurting us in long Island. The culture has to change. Um, the mentality has to change. The offers, you have these kids now. So the senior class is a group that a whole bunch of Long Island elite players that we coached for years in that senior class. And when I say we, I don't just mean Long Island elite. I mean the the Kamal Roys of the world, the PSTs, the, the Longwood Youth Football League, the Northport Youth Football League, the Dix Hills Football League the Uniondale Football League. I mean, I know guys at every single one of these organizations that at that age group, this senior class, they were passionate. Um, you know, the Tim Asbells, the uh, Vinny Cesarinos, the, I mean, we could, there's a ton of these guys. When I say us and I say we, that's who I mean. These guys have worked with these kids to, to raise the level of, of football. And some of these kids now that are getting offers, it amazes me, you know, how long have we heard kids in the cross getting offers in like sixth grade? All right. That's cool. Kids in soccer getting offers in seventh grade. Okay. That's cool. That's not new news, right? The moment kids are getting offers in football, it's like, how are those kids getting offered? He's only in eighth grade or he's only in seventh grade or he's only a freshman in high school or whatever it is. And that has to change. Like the eighth grader in New York that has offers, did we know in Long Island that there are kids in sixth and seventh grade in Atlanta, Georgia, and across the rest of the country that have not nine offers, but they have 15 or 20 offers. So that mentality has to change. Yes, they are allowed to get offers below ninth grade. Pretty much all there, there aren't many restrictions below ninth grade. When you get in ninth grade, the formalities of recruiting start, but the reality is these coaches at colleges can offer kids at that age and it's legitimate. Shiano said to a player that was just recently offered, he specifically said to him, this is a committable offer. If you commit to this right now, I take one scholarship off the 2026 class. So guys, again, it's just one more thing where we should be encouraging these kids to get offers. The, the local schools in New York should be offering these kid, kids. Um, you know, the, the colleges. I can tell you from experience that the colleges... The, the power five colleges, 
they're doing everything they possibly can to not lose those kids outside of their state. Are we doing the same thing in Long Island? Are we doing the same thing in New York? I don't know. And I'd love to hear your opinions on that. I think that whether or not they're being offered is one thing, whether or not the Long Island universities and the Stony Brooks of the world and a lot of these other, the Syracuse's of the world and all those other colleges, at the very least, they should know the talent as they start to work their way up and come through, come through middle school and high school. Because guess what? At those power five schools, they're doing it. And look, I realize not every school is a power five school. Not every school is an LSU or a Georgia or whatever it is. And there are restrictions, but I'm simply saying that we got to do a better job from the youth level right through college to increase the level of football. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. 631-672-3108 is the number. If you want to talk to Gerald, Al, or obviously Benjamin Carey, uh, we are talking to Long Island 495 elite. Before we have, uh, you know, Gerald and Al, uh, you know, answer the question, uh, Speedy, why don't you read a couple of things that some of the guys are saying right now? Yes. Uh, speaking of Tim Aspel, he actually had a comment. In my opinion, as long as kids are doing something physical, whether it's in one sport or five, what's important? Less Xbox, more gym time. Uh, Carl Falk says you could talk. You could say what Jeff said, because some of the stuff that Jeff said was pretty interesting. So I'll read calls too. so the outside trainers thing and high school coaches is about the trainers recruiting kids to certain schools. That is the trepidation of the high school coach. Um, he Jeff says the lacrosse example is a bad one. The Northeast is the only place lacrosse exists. And that's why they're recruiting there. Um, and then Carl says, what D1 colleges are you talking about in New York, Buffalo, Syracuse? Are there any more he wants to know? All right. So, uh, Al, uh, what are your thoughts to what Ben said? And, uh, Gerald, then uh, I'd like to hear your opinion as well. Um, I don't want to make it seem like we're saying you must go out and get outside training. Um, we're just saying that outside training is not a bad or taboo um, because it appears to be that that's the opinion of some in Long Island. And we're just saying it's not that, you know, do, do you have to get that? No. Um, I also don't want to kind of give the impression that we want to like force parents to do these type of things. You know, let, we still got to remember these are kids and we want to make the game fun. Okay. And they have to want to do it. But when you have a kid that wants to get extra help and extra training, we should not restrict them. I, I just wanted to bring that point out first. Um, in regards to the schools in Long Island and New York, I think they do. And I'm going to throw my alma mater under the bus a little bit, uh, Syracuse. I think they need to recruit New York, especially um, the metro New York area, a little bit better. Um, I've, I've made that known. Um, there's a lot of good talent in this area, but, you know, they fall in love with the kids from Florida and um, other hot spots and i just refuse to believe that if a kid has a, a particular zip code they're going to be better in football and i think that was one of the things that i've always uh kind of had a chip on my shoulder when i was coaching youth football is i love to travel around with my little town team and go down to florida texas and all these other places where football is supposed to be so much better in new york and we used to stick it to them and um and it just be, it just came from just a lot of hard work dedication and having a lot of good parents behind you that was willing to um put in the hours of training and everything that's needed to 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 bring a team together so um i'm i, I just want to let it be known that you know 
we we look at zip codes and area codes like that. Like that's going to define a person, or just because they drink water from a different state, that's going to make them a better football player. That's not true. We have a lot of great talent in the state of New York. We have a lot of good football in Long Island. I've seen it personally. Why are we behind the other states? I don't know. That's a big question. Um, I don't think we have enough time to, to delve into all of that, but some of it has to do with the structure of how New York State, um, they kind of hold us back. Um, we start football later than the rest of the country. So therefore, when, and I'm speaking right now uh, in particular with high school, um, when we start our football season, most of the other states have already started. They're already like two or three games ahead of us. So when we do play out-of-state games, a lot of times it's their third game and it's only our first game. I'm just using that as an example to show you how the politics in the state of New York holds back. They're not really beneficial uh, for helping the kids in football. So I think we have to make a decision, you know, you know how important is football you know, to us? Do we want it to be? Do we want New York to be a, a, a football state? Because we can be. There's a lot of love for football in New York. It's not just in the South or in the Midwest or on the West Coast. Uh, New Yorkers love football and a lot of kids do as well. Gerald, what are your thoughts to what Al said and obviously what Ben has been really preaching and pushing uh, here on Long Island? I'm not going to reiterate Al, but a lot of, lot of stuff I'm in agreement with Al, um, as far as the training goes, I mean, I'm a high school coach, so um, I'm, I'm for the outside training. Uh, you know, the landscape of, of football has changed in that aspect. I mean, you know, when you get to the college level and the professional level and the, the, the technology that's out there today, um, so many things are advanced uh, since the days that, that we've, that I played. Um, so, you know, as far as injuries and things like that, getting back from an injury, um, just dissecting the performance of an athlete, um, you know, movements and all those kinds of things. Um, as a high school coach, you know, I'm for, uh, you know, kids getting, getting trained. Um, you know, as a high school coach, if you don't have a, a staff on um, that knows speed, strength, and conditioning, um, you know, you may need that. So, so not everybody can hire a guy uh, that can do that. So having the outside support of, of, of a revolution athletics or uh, some of the other ones that are, are doing it, I'm, I'm for those athletes. I want an athlete that's coming back and that's prepared and that is ready to play. And I can teach them the game of football and the schemes that we need to do. Um, do I spend time on speed, strength, and conditioning? Of course. We, you have to do things as a team. That's, that's the camaraderie. That's the building. Uh, of that, but the individual stuff, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to bringing bringing trainers in or having my athletes go uh, to trainers. Um, I think it's beneficial all, all the way around. Um, I think, you know, there was a mention of, you know, the recruiting uh, of players to go to specific schools and things like that. Like, you know, that I'm not for, um, you know, doing it for those, you know, doing for the intentions that are, are that are supposed to be done, you know, to, to advance the athlete. I mean, when I was growing up, I did that stuff on my own. I just, it was my own personal interest. Not everybody's like that. Some people need that guidance and they need the outlet um, to say, here's an opportunity or here's a platform to get bigger, stronger, faster. Um, and we're offering those things now. So to prevent a kid, if you're not going to offer it, somebody's got to offer it uh, and, and give that kid that opportunity. 
You know, I, if all my high school players at my age were out doing uh, speed shoots and strength conditioning and going to the gym um, and all that stuff, you know, we would have all been that much better. But they, they just didn't have it. Um, at that time. So we're going to go to a quick break in a bit, but I just wanted to read some of the other comments. Uh, Carl, I love the mentality uh, Al has, but there are zip codes that churn out unreal talent. Uh, no question. And then uh, Effie Hern, uh, Hominidis, I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, great point. Us Long Islanders love football. And Jeff says Al makes great points, but the zip codes do matter. It's so interesting when, when we're talking about youth football and what some of these young college, young high school players are going into college and the transition now with the money that they're bringing in with the NCAA, the NCAA allowing these players to make money. When we come back, we will get into that with Al, Ben, and obviously Gerald, because it's very, very interesting with the NIT rules and everything that's going on in college football. When we come back, we'll get into that with 495 Elite Long Island here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I'm a greaseball, Petey. 631-672-3108. I'm just kidding, Speedy, as you know. <laughs> Website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Go to our app, iOS, if you haven't checked it out, Apple, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We're here with the boys, the guys that run <laughs> Long Island 495 Elite, the guys that are the faces of what Long Island football has been for the last 10, 15 years and what it could be in the next 10 or 15 years with the money being distributed from NIT and, and college football. Finally. I believe that these college players are make it should be making money, and I, I disagree with a lot of people and a lot of arguments on the sports loudmouths, and we've been talking about it for the last, I would say, year. When this transition and where the NCAA started allowing these players to make money off their own names, especially for the amount of money that these colleges are making off these ball games, you're, you're talking about fifteen to twenty million dollars for one ball game, win, lose, or draw. These guys are bringing in that money, and the coaches making nine or ten million a year. It's just absolutely outrageous what these coaches are making in college football. Why shouldn't these young athletes get the money as well so ben i want to get into that with you because I, I am i am disgusted with some of the things that i've heard over the last couple of months by some of these coaches the crybaby coaches in the ncaa and everybody knows who i'm talking about mr bama over there crying everybody knows who i'm talking about and i call him mr bama because he he's like bam bam bigelow he when when they're winning and they're clobbering people it's okay when it when it comes to when you're losing and you're not doing the things or you're not recruiting or you are recruiting your recruiting class isn't winning you're crying and saying that teams are opening up their pockets like Texas A&M because of the richest school and and saying now that they can pay these players and as we saw uh, Peyton Manning's uh, nephew uh, Archie Manning uh, decided to pick Texas out of Alabama and LSU and in Georgia where he could have went to a power five school instead he goes to Texas because probably they gave him the most money so Ben I want to get into that I I want to know your opinion and you guys I mean Gerald I'm sure you have your own opinions to this and even Al with the with the money that some of these kids should be making and are going to be making in the future for college football 
So you said NIT. It's it's NIL. NIL. Unless sorry, you know something I don't. NIL. I'm sorry. I'm talking. About, <laughs> I'm thinking about college basketball um, actually, but that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a capitalist. I mean, listen, the coaches and college football have been making millions of dollars for years. And yes, there have been scholarships for some of these kids and everything else, but the stadiums built and the schools supported and the program supported, um, you know, for whatever sport it is, if you look in the stands and you are at a, at a football game versus any other sport, I mean, the reality is football brings in a ton of money to these schools. And when you have coaches making, you know, a few million dollars to, $10 million, whatever it is, which I'm not opposed to. I think it's incredible that the NCAA changed the rules a year ago to allow the players to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Because what happened is in the past on, on uh, the NCAA football video games, and this is just one example of a million, um, Johnny Manziel number two was playing in the college football video game and there was no Johnny Manziel on the back of his Jersey, but number two was on there and the stats and everything else about the game, how he ran and all the other stuff. It was very clear who the player was and, and uh, he didn't make a dime on, on that. And I mean, listen, maybe a poor example. I, I, there's a million examples I, that you could come up with for, the name image and likeness of these college pay players being used and exploited and them not seeing a dime from it. And while I think it's awesome that they have an opportunity to go to school for free, a lot of them leave with bumps and bruises in particular in football and no health care or whatever it is. And I just think, again, I'm a capitalist. I think that these players should have an opportunity to make their share of that, uh, of that revenue for the NIL. And now they can. And guess what? It's not just for college players. You have high school players that are making money on it. And listen, I'm not going to sit and debate comments and calls of, uh, about what people, everybody has their own barometer and their own gauge of what they think is acceptable, what they think is right. But the reality is there are high schoolers right now making a ton of money um, through NIL. There are college players making a ton of money through NIL and whether you like it or not, it's here to stay. And the only question is how regulated it will become right now. It's like the wild West. You should follow Darren Heitner on uh, Twitter. He's one of the best in the country. I happen to have spoken with three of the top attorneys and two of the top agents for NIL. I've had the pleasure of meeting them and working with them and learning the ins and outs of NIL. And it's pretty exciting that these players finally have a chance to make some money on their name, image, and likeness. Al, your thoughts to what Ben is saying, and I know you have your own opinion to NIL and, and what's going on with college football, the money that is going to be brought in for some of these players. We see uh, as uh, Bryce, um, uh, Bryce, Young. Uh, Bryce Young, the money that he got, uh, I think it was like close to three or four million dollars uh, that he got from Alabama, not from Alabama, but the advertisements and the endorsements <laughs> that he got uh, going. Obviously, the star quarterback for Alabama, he's probably going to be number the number one pick in, in next year's draft. What are your thoughts with the money that some of these kids are making? I don't know if there's really a, a legitimate argument about whether the kids should get paid at this 
moment. Like it's happening and there's no going back now. Um, I think the question is more of like Ben stated, how should it be regulated? I was in my car today on my way home and um, ESPN, I was listening on the radio and um, one of the guys brought up a, a point that I never really thought about. What if a booster or something gives a particular kid a, a, a ridiculous amount of money to go to his alma mater school and the kid doesn't pan out or he's not panning out? And now this booster starts calling people, hey, you know, I paid this kid some X amount of money. Why isn't he playing? And then next thing you know, he's calling the quarterback coach. So I bring that up to just say that, you know, I can see where it can present problems and it's going to have to be worked out. As time goes on, I'm sure they'll figure out ways of how to regulate it and kind of how to spread the pie a little bit more evenly. But uh to me, the argument isn't should the kids get paid. Um, and if and if you do make that argument, I think you're just out of touch with reality. You know, you turn on YouTube now, you see kids, they call them what, influencers, YouTube influencers or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. They, Great point. Making money off of their name, image and likeness. So how come an athlete can't? You know, in the past, the way the NCAA regulations work, us old dinosaurs just have to uh, realize that, you know, this is the landscape of college football and high school football for that matter. I agree that athletes get paid. I do think there are challenges that we'll see that will come up. That's one challenge. And then the other challenges, too, is the issue with kids coming out of college and they're influxed with X amount of dollars and it creates problems. So you're going to have that aspect that uh, too, that how do, you, how do you handle them, you know, at such a young age? You're talking millions of dollars, you know, you're not talking, you know, small change. So that's going to, I think that's going to create um, some issues as well. And, and there's going to be some more education, just as the NFL players are educated when they come in. Uh, now the college players are going to have to be educated. Um, and and down, down the line, the high school players, you know, you, you see it, um, you know, maybe there'll be, you know, small or few examples, uh, far and few between, but uh, as it grows, those examples are going to become more and more, and there's going to be issues, you know, money, uh, you know, as one, it's a good thing, um, but it also creates problems. So I, I see that, but I, I'm definitely for athletes making and taking advantage of it um, and, and going, but, you know, there's also the aspect of, you know, you have your, your name like a, an image, um, and the recruiting landscape is going is going to change drastically as well. Um, now it's not the prestige of the school or the, even the education. It's okay. How much how much money can I get? Um, so maybe you're you're picking a school over another school because of the dollars you make, but maybe that education may be less. So now you're making a it's coming in and at a high school level kid making that decision over a, a university that may be prestigious um, in their academics um, or ranked higher than another one, but uh, the, the, the dollars may take precedence now. Um, so where's, where's that level out? And I'm just bringing up, you know, different points of things that I see in the future, but I'm not saying that it shouldn't be allowed. Uh, I'm for the athlete making money and, and taking advantage of, of their opportunities 100%. Like Al's saying that some sort of regulation or things are, or education is going to have to start coming to the forefront to uh, to educate these people in these situations. Some people will be going through this for the first time 
no, you know, no family members or previous, uh, no experience. Um, like when I was recruited, I don't know Al's situation or, but my, my nobody, my recruit, my family was ever recruited. So that was a process for me. And I had a learning experience. Kids would go to Indiana on a full scholarship and, you know, things changed. Um, but I had no experience. So that, that's something that, that I had to uh, go through. So I could imagine, you know, the things that are coming up with families that don't have uh, the experience in the recruiting process and the and, and NIL process as well. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of untested waters, but I think it's for the good um, if it can be, you know, kind of controlled and, and you know, uh, you get the right people involved with the right intentions. But you're you're gonna have you're always gonna have something. In. Tim Asbell says eighty thousand people don't show up to watch someone take a chemistry test. Coach Winters, uh, Carl says new NIL. Someone needs a sponsorship with the Long Island Expressway. Uh, Effie <laughs> Hernandez says agree with Ben. Kids need to profit through the NIL. Carl says the NCAA is so archaic and reactionary. NIL will always be the Wild West. NCAA is a miserable governing body, if you can even call it that. Jeff says there's a there will be a NCAA football game in five years. College football committee went met this week to take it independent. Carl says I'm sure they won't figure it out. It's the NCAA. Uh, Jeff says adapt or die. And uh, Jeff says what systems currently exist New York statewide for these programs as well. So my question is I want to touch on like smaller schools with these NIL things. We've seen Deion Sanders already have success at Jackson state so far, uh, Hugh Jackson at Grambling state, just with the namesake, but even down the road, uh, can you see the money trump the bigger coaches later on? If the offers are there enough where it becomes more individual towards the athlete, we'll start with you, Al, and then go to Gerald and then Ben. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, I, I could definitely see that being an issue if the money gets so big, it's bigger than the coaches. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're still dealing with kids and um, it's going to be hard to control and coach a player if he's making more money than the coach. So um, I, we're not at that point quite yet. But um, if we ever get there, that would be another issue that the NCAA and college football will have to deal with. Gerald, how about you? What are your thoughts to what Speedy said? I think it's 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 going to play an effect on the universities. You know, the smaller ones, like you said uh, or you mentioned, they don't have a collective uh, in place. Uh, everybody's kind of going to fall behind. Uh, those small schools, it's going to be tougher for those small schools because of alumni and and who their boosters are. They're going to fall behind in that recruiting aspect. So you're going to get a lot more top heavy. Um, I don't know how the schools are going to wind up competing in that aspect. And it's even some of the larger schools are going to have trouble as well. It's going to be, you know, it's paid sports. So, you know, you have it at the professional level now. So, you know, it just it just becomes common down the line where, you know, a player is making more than the head coach right now, you know, at the pro at the pro level. So eventually, it's you know, everybody's going to know their place and everybody's going to earn what they they respectively earn. Um, and I think everybody will do their job. Uh, they'll, they'll be professional about it, uh, and it's happening today. Uh, but in the college world, it's, it's going to take some time to, to evolve to that. So I think you're going to get it in certain situations, uh, especially at the beginning. Some will probably try to prevent it uh, from happening, and then it'll weed itself out. How about you, Ben? What, what are your thoughts to this? Uh, I, have, I have so many thoughts on this. I'm just reading some of the comments. Um, 
Kareem, Coach Kareem, he coached for us back in the day, and he just moved south with his son, Gavin, who's a very talented linebacker. He said, circle the wagons, back to Long Island football. <clears throat> I think you might have just logged on, Kareem. You missed a, a bunch of great stuff, which I know you'll appreciate. Go back and watch some of the material from earlier in the show um, and appreciate you tuning in. <clears throat> and Jeff Steinberg has Stenberg has uh, some great comments also. Um, and he, he hit the nail on the head. Like we're already at a point where the players are bigger than the coaches between NIL, the portal, what leverage the coaches have. And I definitely don't have the answers. I can tell you guys, if you're interested in the NIL world, I've had the pleasure of meeting with some of the NL NIL guys at the college level who are handling NIL for the, for some power five schools. I've also had the opportunity to meet two of the most influential influential individuals in NIL. And I urge you to follow them on Twitter because these guys are thorough. Every day something changes in NIL, and these guys are right on top of it. Uh, one of the guys is Darren Heitner. Both of these guys, uh, they teach law. One of them teaches, I believe, at the Levin School. That's Darren Heitner on Twitter, H-E-I-T-N-E-R. And the other guy is Dan Lust. And he teaches um, an NIL course at NYU. And these guys are just so knowledgeable on everything. I mean, they know everything about everything. They share it all on Twitter for the benefit of the athletes. And just getting back to some of the um, (laughs) – just getting – I'm just reading some of these comments. Getting back to uh, some of the NIL, um, Jeff brought up some some great points. one of the questions I think he asked was what systems do we have in New York for this? And so like, I can speak to two on two sides to that. So on the player level, you have NIL deals as a player that you can put together yourself. So if Joe's pizza down the block wants to sponsor you and you're in high school, New York is one of seven States. And I say seven States, that's the last I heard a couple of weeks ago. It changes every day. More States may be open to this, but as a high school player, you can make money for NIL by any local sponsorship or pretty much any deal that you could put together with your network. Um, so whether it's a gas station or a pizza place or a healthcare place, whatever it is, some of these deals have been put together already by um, a gentleman who, again, he's one of the leaders for the Long Island football movement, helping players. Like these are all selfless guys that are promoting the players and just helping them get better, get more exposure. This guy, Lenny Parisi, put together a health a healthcare deal um, for some of the players, I believe. And I don't think I'm misquoting. You can check me. Um, he helped arrange a deal for some of the players at uh, Holy Trinity. Um, and, and that's one school. I mean, it's happening all over at the high school level. It's happening in New York for high schoolers at the college level. Um, it's happening. Um Going back to the high schoolers, so I started by saying the players can put together their own deals themselves. You also have schools at the college level once you become a college athlete. So a lot of these schools are internally, it's so new, it's only a year old. And yes, it's like the Wild West. So a lot of these colleges are forming their engine to handle NIL right now. And some of them are behind. And I won't mention names of the colleges. Some of them are behind. The ones that are in the front, and have gotten ahead of this way, way, way in advance, like it or not, whatever your opinion is on how much these players are getting, that's a separate conversation. But the reality is you have quarterbacks that are getting five and $10 million, these high schoolers to go and play at division one colleges. And those are being paid by collectives 
which are third party organizations that are sort of like booster clubs to serve as a liaison between the athlete and the school. And again, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a ton of opinions because I try every day to understand every aspect of it. But again, if you really want to learn about it and stay abreast of everything, those two guys, Darren Heitner, Dan Lust are two guys at the forefront of everything. And you'll be very well informed if you stay in touch with them on Twitter. So that's, yeah, I mean, at the college level, it's going to possibly resemble somewhat of professional football. But again, there are colleges right now who are scrambling. They don't, and there's some, there's just so many things to talk about. Um, we should probably move on to another topic, but there's so many things to talk about. You have some of the colleges right now, like Coach Al said, where you have veterans that are in the school and don't really have much NIL money. How do you feel if you're a defensive lineman? You don't really have many NIL deals. Maybe you put a couple local ones together with a restaurant or whatever it is. And all of a sudden the top five-star, four or five-star defensive lineman is coming in and that guy's getting $3 million or he's driving a Lamborghini or they bought him a Corvette or whatever it is. These are all things that are realistic and they're happening as we speak. And a lot of people in New York football probably don't know a lot of this, but I can assure you in Florida and Atlanta, and some of these youth leagues and some of the high schools and everything else, these guys are all about it. And they could probably recite a lot of the points that I just, I'm just getting up to speed on everything. But I just think it's exciting because the kids finally have a chance to take a share and revenue that has been lining the pockets of the colleges and the coaches, which has been awesome. And like coach Tim said, he made that humorous comment about, um, you don't get 80,000 people coming to watch a chemistry test. And that's true. You know, I mean, even for the lacrosse players that leave Long Island playing for a top lacrosse school, you get a crowd, but football is just a different engine altogether. And it's nice to see the, the players being able to benefit from it and being able to benefit from it legally um, without underhanded deals being made and that sort of thing. 631-672-3108 is the number. We're talking to Long Island 495 Elite, Gerald Filardi, Al Brown, and Benjamin Carey, or Ben Carey, whatever you want to call them. Uh, yes, they all have hair. That's good. I mean, they haven't lost their hair. Being football coaches these days, or even anything when it comes to uh, you know sports, high school sports, college sports, uh, you'd probably lose your hair. I mean, Speedy's never going to lose his hair. He's that grease ball of his. But, um, I, you know, it's so interesting. I Over the years and growing up, I watched movies like Necessary Roughness. And, and obviously, everybody remembers the program. That is a very well-known movie. Uh, and over the over – the, if you anybody's ever seen that movie, um, it's a great movie. And, and it really shows the greed of, you know, potential people paying off – these kids to come to their school or play a good football game. They're going to throw you money and, and, and all that. And, and the NCAA over the years, if they found out that you were taking money, uh, they would suspend you. I mean, look what happened to Reggie Bush. Okay. Reggie Bush was practically thrown away. One of the greatest running backs in college football history was thrown away by, you know, USC because he took money because at the time his family couldn't support themselves. Uh, obviously, he comes from. He doesn't come from a very rich area, and he took the money to help his family. And we've seen this before. We see this with the NBA. Look at look at what's happened with some of these uh, NCAA coaches going out there recruiting their players uh, and 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 getting suspended or losing their jobs over the years just because they're trying to help these kids and their families uh, and make sure that 
these kids are going to come and concentrate on basketball, not their families and, and how, you know, going that some of these kids had to go to had to work a second job while they're going to high school to, to help support their families because they have single households they have a mom supporting them or a father supporting them and that's it so and, and they have like nine kids in their family so it, it it to me this is so very important not only for some of these kids that are probably in bad situations in their life and some people like johnny mantel comes from a family that has millions and millions of dollars I mean, seriously, if you if you know the story about it, his father, own, uh, like owns a different oil places and all the different things that he owns. I, I mean, we've heard so many different things. Some of these kids, they're just they're not they're not born in wealth, and 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 they're born with a God given talent. And, and guys like you, Ben and and Al and Gerald, you're the one that discovers that, and you try to build these guys up to really achieve the goals that maybe they thought they never would have. Because not everybody is a good student. I, I know that for a fact. I've I've met a lot of kids over the years, and as great of football players, basketball, <laughs> hockey players, some of them are just they're not book smart. They're they're more street smart or whatever. They're 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 more you know because this is the way they grew up. You know they didn't grow up with wealth and teachers and private schools. They they went to public schools. They didn't have everything that some of these private school kids have. But now, with what you guys are doing here in Long Island and all around the world, Texas and Florida, the different traditional training camps and stuff like that for these kids to join during you know non football seasons or all year round, where these kids are developing. And Al, I I, I want to know you guys' opinion because it really bothers me when I. When I listen to some of these people, and I, I've talked to a lot of different college coaches, and over the years we've interviewed so many of them from all different sports, and even fans that call up the show and they argue with me because I have said this, and Speedy will acknowledge this. For the last three years I've been doing this show, I've been doing shows on this network for about eight years, and I've been arguing this. Why aren't college football players or college athletes making money? It's it's absolutely ridiculous when you hear the amount of money that these coaches are getting, and 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 Jeff says it. Dabo Sweeney, okay, who uh, who is ridiculous crybaby. He comes out and says, you know what, college kids shouldn't be making money. Well, why are you making nine million dollars a year? Answer that question. Why are you bringing nine million while these kids that you're recruiting are putting your name out there, blowing your name up when they when you win a national championship? It's just, it's just, to me, it's despicable. These coaches need to open their eyes and realize they wouldn't have a job right now if it wasn't for the kids that they're recruiting. Right or wrong? Right or wrong? And, and this is the problem with college sports. This is the problem. And that's why I don't argue when I see an NFL player or an NBA player like LeBron James get a $97 million contract for two years. He earned it. He worked for it. And if a team wants to pay him, by, by all means, pay him. Because I just think it's despicable when, when I when I look at all the owners making billions, colleges making millions and millions of dollars because of ball games. Because this recruit decided, Archie Manning decided to go to Texas. How many people are going to go and watch Archie Manning play in Texas? I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it will be a packed crowd every single game. Even if he's not on the field and he's sitting on the bench. He's going to pack out Texas because of his name, because of his uncles, because of his grandfather, right or wrong. And this is this is the problem. 
Names are names. And if that's going to put fannies in the seats, by all means, they should be paid. <laughs> I, I think I, uh, well, you know, obviously uh, threw you guys a curveball there. But, <laughs> you know, it, it just – I rant about this all the time. It's disgusting. Uh, I, I don't understand why the – the the thought that these players shouldn't make but and then I hear well they get college educations okay so an NBA an NCAA gives you know they have a certain amount of college scholarships they can give these basketball players okay they put they have they have one opportunity because the NBA uh, they don't bring in guys from uh, obviously high school you can either play in the G League or you can go and play one year of eligibility college basketball and. These college basketball players are taking the scholarships. They don't even go to class. We, we, do we ever? Does anybody know the story about Derrick Rose? Derrick Rose went to Memphis. He was going to a class that the school was passing them through just so he could play basketball, take them to a national championship, and become the number one pick of the NBA draft from the Chicago Bulls. Okay? And everybody knows that story. I'm not going to sit here. And I, I know everybody keeps saying, move on, Errol, go to – they go to Long Island football. That's fine. <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is, and, and Carl, you can say whatever you want. You can argue whatever you want and say that I'm off and whatever. <laughs> I'm upbeat with this because it bothers me that people and athletes that just like the coaches, the coaches are the names right now. It should be the athletes. They're the faces of the game. They're the guys that are going to go and play professional football. There's a, they're the guys throwing their bodies on the line. And I think they absolutely deserve it. So that's just mine. Getting back to Long Island football and, and finishing up with you guys. And I, I think some of some of the viewers you have a, we have a lot of viewers yes. online for yes. Long Island football from all of our different organizations. And I think I, some of them may not realize like that your your show. Tell them about your weekly shows because you are one of the most knowledgeable uh, sports guys. I mean, you know so much about baseball, football, basketball, and everything else, and you have these weekly shows. Some of the some of the people may think this is just a football show, no. but uh, you you guys have a great show every week, and I hence the reason you you go off on these tangents. I appreciate well, your passion. You know, it, 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 everything anybody watches or listens to radio and uh, sports radio, everybody talks about the same stuff, and I try to go. We we try to bring a different outlook to sports and and argue our points and and try to rant and and even the fans that you know have their own thoughts like Carl and Jeff and they they have their own silly answers or their stupidity on here I respect what they have to say I I do and I let them talk and I let them interact with our show because we try to make this a fan show it's not it's not just about us it's about it. we call ourselves the sports loudmouths because we like to speak up on sports. We don't like to sit here and be like every boring radio show where you're like, I got to turn this crap off. It's garbage. So I, what we do is we, we interview all different people, athletes, professional athletes, writers, <coughs> coaches around the country, top-end coaches, college coaches, analysts, analysts that you know. We've interviewed the voice of the Cowboys, the voice of the Jets. We've interviewed everybody, top recruits, top 50 recruits of the NCAA last year, college recruits. We do it all. And, and what we do is we give a panel of vote, an understanding of what we know about sports. And, and you might not agree with everything that we say. You, you might not. I'm happy that you don't. OK, because if you do, it would be boring. OK, and I, I don't take it to the heart if you hate me. OK, because hate me or love me. I have my own opinions. And if you don't agree with it or you do agree with it, 
I'm going to give you my own assessment to what I believe is true. So uh, we are on every single Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Uh, we are moving um, on on in September. We're moving one of the shows to Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, it will be 7 to 10 for the kids to interact and actually listen to the show because obviously they go – uh, they go to sleep early. They have high school. You know, they, they got to go, you know, they got to go to bed and go to school. So we're doing one show on Wednesday from 7 to 10 and then on Thursday, uh, 9 to 12. And the reason why we're doing it so late is because a lot of these writers, a lot of these athletes, they can't come on. They have families. Uh, they, they're going to training camps. They're, they're, they're doing all their different stuff. Are they retired? Like we last week, what was it? Two weeks, two weeks ago, we interviewed Brandon Jacobs and we were talking about his son. He's going to be a top offensive recruit. He's 15 years old, <coughs> six foot five, 280 pounds. And even you, Ben, your son, who's a, what, a, a junior in high school. He's going to be a freshman, a freshman in high school. He's six foot five, 260 pounds. I mean, these kids are bohemians now. I, I mean, they're absolutely huge. And how big they're getting. I mean, Brandon Jacobs, 6'2", 230-pound, 240-pound running back. His son's twice the size of him, and he's 15 years old. And these kids, his son just uh, obviously um, just got an offer from Kansas State, I think, Kent yeah, State. Kansas State, yeah. Kansas State, where he's going to Kansas State already. He's already made his decision. He's 15 years old. So it's amazing that these kids are already getting offers at such a young age. And that goes back to Long Island football. I, I want to know you guys' opinion because you guys have been around it. What stands out? Like, what position in 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 Long Island football really stands out to move on to the next level? I mean, obviously, there's a nose tackle, there's a defensive end, there's a linebacker position, the quarterback position. What position has really stood out to you guys in 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 what you have trained and what you have taught in high school and and, and youth football? There is uh, there isn't one in my opinion. There isn't one, there isn't one specific position in my opinion. It, it's these kids and the players, in my opinion, that you're seeing move on to the next level and you're seeing you're seeing them excel in their high school. They're the ones that have really had the right resources. They've had they've had the support, whether it's the parental support, the coaching support. They've been involved in the programs. And, and without a doubt, they have the talent. I mean, regardless of anything, they have to have the talent. But all of those other factors together i mean you've had quarterbacks you've had tight ends you've had offensive defensive linemen i mean maybe the other guys have a different opinion but i think it really just comes down to the player and the support network around them uh gerald what is your response, is your response? just be a football player um you know in, in high school the more you're on the field the better off you're going to be um you know the when you get to the next level uh they're going to find where they need you. Um, they want to know they're bringing in a football player that's, that loves the game, wants to play the game, lives it, eats it, breathes it. That's what recruiters are looking for. That's what coaches are looking for. Uh, yeah, you you know, you could start to specialize in a position, but, you know, alignment is going to be alignment. That doesn't mean you're going to play, you know, you can play guard, you can play tackle, you can play center. You can play, you know, you can be on the offensive side of the ball. You can be on the defensive side of the ball. Footwork is is key in the game. The footwork of, of everybody and the size, like Earl's saying, you know, everybody's bigger, faster, stronger. So the linemen these days, what the, the times that they can run and the agility and the speed that they have for their size is incredible. That has changed. Um, well, you, you had those guys, you're just seeing more of them now. You know, it's not just like the big guy that gets in the way. These big guys can move. But the game of football is played with your feet. The more skilled you are and the more agility and, and quickness you have and speed, 
that surrounds the edges. Those are your skill positions. Those are your wide receivers, your DB, your linebackers, then your D-line and your offensive line. Short periods, quickness is what you're going to need. But overall, I mean, when I talk to the youth kids and, and what we teach in fundamentals and technique is just, just be a football player, especially like the elite program. And I know Al tells his kids the same. You know, he, he wants a team of football players. Uh, there's 11 positions on the field. That's that You want to be on the field um, and play one of those positions. Don't say... I'm this position, and if I don't play this position, I'm, I'm not playing. Or, you know, if you have that attitude, you, you want to go where you can help the team um, and, and play a position on the field. Uh, and then as you get, and you're, then you can specialize when, when you're in college and then when you're in, in the pros. Um, and I was just going to say, when, when you're a professional and you get paid, which now is coming down to, mm. you know, it'll be a little bit more specific where you're going to go to college and they're going to pay you to play a position. Uh, in some cases, but but overall, you know, there's there's multiple aspects of you know that that kids have, have played, you know, even quarterback or running back, and you know they went to college and they were a defensive tackle or or a defensive end. So it's just, uh, but they have that athletic ability, and I think the advantage is is understanding the game and you're more versatile um, in what you can play because that's the way you're going to find the that's the way you're going to find the field. You know, you hear it all the time. You, you, you see it in, in training camps and things like that, you know, with, uh, with hard knocks and stuff like that. I mean, special teams is part of the game. You're going to make a 53-man roster, be a football player, run down on kickoffs. You know, you're not specialized in any position there. You just want to be on the field. You want to make the team. As everybody knows, we are talking to Elite 495 Long Island. Uh, we're finishing up with them as we're talking to Gerald Filardi. He had a... A wonderful NFL career. Uh, he, he's a high school coach. He, he's helped build youth football out here on Long Island with Ben and Al. Uh, Al Brown, who's a coach right now in Brooklyn, who's uh, been you know a college football player, had a pretty good uh, career and, and understands the game of football just as well as anybody. And then Ben Carey, who's uh, really been pushing uh, 495 Elite for the last 10 years and, and really has grown – uh, an unbelievable youth program out here and, and, and really growing to astronomical levels. And it's, it's really great to have them on the show. Uh, Carl is asking, uh, Al, a good question for you. Ask the coach about how LI football has changed recently. I think Long Island football is looking, um, the future is bright for Long Island football. I don't have statistics in front of me. And maybe it's because I'm paying a little bit more attention. Son is a junior, about to be a junior in high school. But I'm seeing a lot more kids coming out of Long Island uh, getting offers and scholarships from Power 5 schools over the last few years. I think that's a great indication that Long Island um, football is moving in the right direction, although we have a lot more work to do. But um, I think um, Long Island football is in a good place right now. And a big reason is because of organizations like 495 Football and a lot of other organizations that kind of uh, followed what they kind of started, basically bringing kids together that love football and putting them on a platform, on a stage where they can be seen and where they can kind of like just grow um, in, in that aspect. So um, I'm, I'm seeing improvement. I'm encouraged. Um I, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of things that, um, you know, can be done differently, but we're definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, his coach, Coach Al's son, Caden Brown, has offers from Michigan State, Pitt, 
Temple, Washington, Penn State, Maryland, Nebraska, West Virginia, Buffalo, Rutgers, and Syracuse, and he's in high school. Wow. It's crazy. Congratulations. Yeah, but how about your son? I think he got another offer today, right? Run run down his list. Yeah, so he was offered by uh, he was offered by Tennessee, and he's going into ninth grade. He's starting his varsity season, and he's got offers from Georgia, LSU, Texas A and M, Penn State, Michigan, Rutgers, uh, Temple, Western Illinois. I may have missed one. I don't think so, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, but guys, guys, <laughs> listen, it's it's phenomenal. But my passion for this is is bringing that to every kid like it's great my son it's it's awesome um he said when he was five he was going to play in the nfl and it's awesome but my passion is showing big enough right my now. passion is bringing this to all the kids my passion is allowing every kid who's around him to get the same to benefit off that exposure and help help each other you have so many other kids you have josiah brown you have kj duff coach Al, throw some names in because i don't know everybody but there's so many kids right now and it's so exciting and i'm all about helping those kids. I mean, I get texts and I get emails and I've helped kids set up their Twitter and DM coaches and run them through the whole process of what they need to be doing online and what they need to do to get recruited. Because as coach Daryl said, it's different than it used to be. There's no VHS tapes and it's, it's, it's a completely different animal. I run a marketing company. So from my standpoint, that crossover into football has been natural. And I mean, listen, you could have all the marketing in the world. If you don't have a talented kid that could play ball, Size doesn't matter. Marketing doesn't matter. If you don't have a kid that could go to those college camps and throw the other kids around and earn that offer, it doesn't matter. And I can assure you that these kids like Hayden Brown, Josiah Brown, Coach Al, you got to throw some names in because I keep mentioning the same kids, man, but there's a lot of them. Coach Gerald, you too. These kids, uh, these kids are the real deal and we're proud of them on Long Island. And it's my passion to help as many kids as possible play at Division One play at division two and play at division three. And like I said, I get the phone calls, the emails. I spend a lot of time helping these kids. Some of these kids don't even have Twitter accounts set up. You know, some of the kids I ask, well, have you called the coach? And they look at me and they're like, what do you mean? Have you called the, 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 the college that you want to go to? Have you called the coach and told him you want to play there? And like, what do you mean? So again, I, it's, it's, it's for another show with there's so much, it's changed so much how the recruiting process gets. And I could talk about it for hours. I'm passionate about helping these kids that five, six to seven year old, just like in lacrosse, they had that blueprint. I always say, follow the blueprint. Well, we have a blueprint that Gerald and I and coach Al and coach uh, all of the coaches coach um, coach Roy at Holy Trinity. And there's just so many of them. I apologize if I'm not mentioning names. There's so many great women who've helped us also Monica Martinez and Stella Genova and Suzanne Marino. Like there are men, women, there are so many great volunteers helping this. And, um, you know, we're all educating these kids and trying to help them so that this, those same kids in lacrosse and soccer that have that blueprint and have the road and the opportunity and the path, we're giving it to the football kids. And that's what we live for. As well as you should. And that's what's so important to the growth of football here on Long Island. Speedy, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to read some of the other comments. Uh, Kareem Hallman said, uh, NIL is great, but Long Island is trending in the right direction, but you can't go from A to Z. Uh, Jason A. Brown, don't forget your D-line trainers like Coach Chad Ellis from E-Hall, Kraken Academy. 
Uh, I've been on, Kareem says, I've been on since the beginning of all great points. Uh, Carl says, SMU was way ahead back in the 80s. Ha ha. He also mentions blue chips uh, in reference to Absolutely. those movies. Uh, Absolutely. John Slug, shout out to him. Week one, best game to watch, Ducks versus Georgia. Uh, Carl says, Long Island football. Um, we got... <laughs> Uh, yes, and Carl's question from there after yes. that. So, uh, Gerald, do you have any response to Carl's question about the uh, the state of LI football? Yeah, I think we're in we're in a good place, but a long way to go. We always reference. I think lacrosse comes up a lot, soccer comes up a lot because I think that's just the the hotbed for for us here in the Northeast. But I mean, football is so much bigger than that. Like just the game of football, it's it's America's game. Uh, you know, the college game. The NFL game, it's the country of the United States is the, is football, um, you know, and I'm obviously biased to that. I'm not against other sports um, and all that stuff. But, you know, my kids play lacrosse, uh, you know, not against any of that. But um, just there's there's I, I just think the mindset and a little bit of the culture uh, is still needs to be developed uh, on Long Island um, and, and in the metro area. Uh, to get to get us to where we want to be to compete because we we certainly have the athletes and I think um, you know the the things that we do and we talk about Long Island Elite we talk about uh, you know what Ben has done what Al's done what I'm doing um, and there's a whole slew of other guys that are doing it as well um, and it's just creating those platforms for these kids um, and the opportunities uh, I think that's that's important um, in giving them the outlet to play the game uh, at different levels. Um, you know, you got different leagues on Long Island. Um, you got different avenues. So giving those kids the opportunity to get exposure, uh, to play the game at, at all different levels. Um, obviously, elite. We want to look for those elite kids that are that are the diehards. But that doesn't mean there there isn't an opportunity for the kid that that just wants to learn. Um, we have those as well. I think the the culture uh, and changing and and so to speak. Not let's stop. Uh, you know, competing with Long Island, figure out how do we compete with the surrounding states, uh, which we can. Al's, Al's proven it. He's taken teams out of state. We've proven it. We've taken teams out of state. Um, so it's just it's just developing that. But I think we're we're trending in the right direction. But I think there's there's definitely uh, we need more uh, you know support. We need more uh, people behind us, like minds uh, that can give these kids that opportunity. Um, and that we're, we're not talking about all the kids that, you know, are going to get offers. Um, you know, like Ben said, you know, you got to be, you got to be a player, you know, you got to put the work in and, and we've provided the platform for these kids and they've taken advantage of it. And I give all the credit to those kids that have offers. They put the time, they put the effort in. Uh, we, we had the pleasure of coaching them, uh, and being a part of their career, uh, and looking to them to go on, uh, and, and advance and, you know we're fortunate. We're the fortunate ones, um, but they're the ones that are that are benefiting from it because they put the time in, they put the work in. Um, they, they, you know, they have a desire, they have a dream, uh, and they're going out and they're achieving that. So we're we're just a little piece of that. Which coach, we're, and there's we're there's there's so there's so many of them. Like Coach Al Brown said, there's so many of them now. And no coach, it's not just like a feeling or you see more. It's uh, it's like when you're expecting a baby and you feel like you walk out of the house and you see 5,000 strollers everywhere you look. It's not that sort of thing. It's real. It's not just that we have, we think we have these kids. There are so many more kids getting offers now than ever before. And, uh, 
every time I open up social media, I see a kid with a new offer. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this so long. Some of the names are like sort of familiar and coach Gerald has been doing it longer than I have. You've been doing it longer than I have. I opened up Twitter or Instagram today and I saw Jaden Lewis is going to LIU and that's a kid. That's a player that I don't know really well, but I remember ages ago when coach Gerald had the long Island Spartans and we got involved with FBU, that was one of the stars on the team. So all these kids in the high schools, you know, a lot of them, the stars have played for us. The, uh, you know, the Northport High School quarterback, Owen Johansson, coach's son at Hills West. There's so many of these kids. We And it's public. It spans public and private schools. It's not just it's not just for the private schools. It's not just for the Holy Trinities of the world and the St. John the Baptists and the Kellenbergs and the St. Anthony's. Yes, there's a lot of kids there, but there are also kids at Longwood. You have Clint Chichester at Longwood, who's a kid that that we coached, um, Aaron Fisher. There's there's kids all over the place and just before we- those, those are the young ones. Those those are the young ones coming up. Like Alston is, is still coming up. The guys that I coach, I mean, I've been coaching youth since 2005. Uh, my oldest son got involved. You know, he's he's 21 now. He's going to be a senior in college. So the kids that I coach are actually going to be seen in college. You got Ernesto Mitchell from from East. Uh, over at Morrisville playing. You had Kendall Clark at uh, Stony Brook uh, that was playing. Uh, you got Jimmy Ragatero uh, going into his fifth or sixth year at LIU. These are guys that were either we were Spartans and back in before we branded Long Island Elite, we had uh, FBU Long Island, uh, which is a tournament that we were involved in. So those are kids that, you know, as far as the span of the kids that we know, um, and then there's there's obviously older kids, but now there's younger kids coming up the pipe, which which we know about. And some of you guys, you know, don't even don't even know about them yet, but we know about them. We 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 see them. We, we've already seen them. We've seen them play, and and it's just a matter of time when they start hitting the high school their high school years. You're talking about kids that are in elementary school now. They're in uh, in middle school uh, that'll be coming up. Coach know, so. Coach Al, you uh, Coach Al. Um, well, yeah, before I get, I mean, listen, there is a fifth or sixth grader right now. Having seen all this stuff, I could tell you this fifth or sixth grader, Luke Morino, when he gets to the age to start getting looked at and get offers and everything else. Remember that name. That's a kid that's going to play division one coach Al, There are so many kids in the senior class right now across Long Island and in Metro New York. I know you have some overlap in New York and, uh, we're talking about Long Island, but there's so much overlap. Like we've done stuff with Mel from the Harlem jets and, uh, and so many guys in the city and you're at Erasmus and there's a lot of guys there, but talk about some of the guys you coach in long Island and, and every, everywhere else. I know we can't run through an entire list and I apologize for, for anyone we miss, but talk about some of the kids that have offers right now that you coached. Um, you're going to put me on the spot. Cause if I start mentioning <laughs> kids, I'm going to forget somebody and they're going to forget. Every time I send an email out on the long Island elite, I try to give these kids recognition and it's just, they're just examples. And I wish at some, someday every single one of these kids will have the glory of being uh, mentioned, but more importantly, they're stars in their high school. And rather than being mentioned in one of our emails or on one of our shows, they're going to get all of the, all of the notoriety when they, when they keep playing every season, but who are some of the kids? Cause I know, you know, a lot of them. Well, um, there's a lot of kids at Holy Trinity that I used to coach um, back at Freeport Red Ravens. Like Jameer Reader is a kid who hasn't, he doesn't have an offer yet, but I guarantee one's coming this year. He'll be playing, he'll be their starting running back. Um, 
we have a couple of kids that, um, you know, lived in Nassau County that moved to New York City that are playing um, at Erasmus Hall. Um, Jeremiah Kokla is his last name. Um, he's He has a couple of offers right now, and um, he's going to be a big star. And I kind of want to do like a, a, a little plug here. Um, Erasmus Hall will be scrimmaging um, Half Hollows East, I believe, on the first and St. Anthony's on the third. Although it's a scrimmage, it's going to be it's a, it's, it's a reunion. It's going to be a reunion, and it's it's going to be great for football in New York because these are the games that everybody wants to see. Um, Erasmus Hall is number one in New York City. St. Anthony's is a school that's traditionally been a powerhouse, but sometimes these schools don't get an opportunity to play and match up. Because one's public, one's private, you know, wh whatever the case may be. But with so many kids that played together in Long Island Elite and they played together on other youth teams and now they're playing against each other at the high school level on a very high level, um, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, and it's going to really be uh, um, – um, it's really going to kick off football season in New York in a big way. Raising the level of football. We should always strive to see. Those are great things. I thought one of the best things that came out of COVID was being able to play some crossover games, Nassau for Suffolk. We should be doing that all along. Right. Like, and years ago, I believe they used to have uh, the public school champs used to play the private school champs. That kind of yeah. went away as well. So, you know. Yeah. Just having little things like that will just energize football in in our area, and um, not only that, it's it's easy for recruiters to come down and, and watch these games. Us as adults, and you know, we just have to put all the politics to the side and everything, and just let the kids play. Let let them let's play the matchups that everybody wants to see. Well, I, I will say this: everybody that wants to know anything that else that we do, we're on the FM dial. Um, every single. Saturday at 7 p.m., 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Our show is called The Weekend Crunch. We have the number one show on 103.9 FM. Uh, it's the only sports show that airs live here on Long Island, New York. So all the fans out there that, uh, you know, wondering why Long Island doesn't have a sports radio show, there is a sports radio show. It is on 103.9 FM. Uh, we have great guests. We give you our whole thoughts of what's going on in sports, including youth sports. We do talk about it and. Uh, I, I know if anybody wants to know what we're doing, we don't just have a digital network. We have, and it's not a podcast. We have a live radio show every Thursday, every Tuesdays and Thursdays, moving to Wednesday. And our show is live every single Saturday at 7 p.m. on 103.9 FM. It's called The Weekend Crunch. I just, I wanted to say one more thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure when we're wrapping it up. But we're going to wrap it up right after right, this. Yep. Yeah. So I just wanted to make the point that, if you follow Long Island Elite on football, we're constantly promoting our players on Twitter. So if you're a coach or you're a recruiter or you really want to know who the banger-uppers are in high school football and youth football on Long Island and you want to get them on your radar, uh, Coach Tim Asbell in the comments, he's sending people through. And these are all people that we've promoted on our Twitter who are players that may or may not have an offer yet. Vin Verdi, Mason Hauser, Jason Ziva, Devin and Dylan. We have Ryan McNaughton. We have... Joseph Filardi, we have Christian Alfaro. I mean, guys, feel free to chime in. There's a million kids, and we will do our best to promote all of them on our Twitter. If you want to see who these players are, forget about the radio show. Just go on to our Twitter, and you will see from public school or private school, you can find the best youth and high school football players on Long Island. So get them on your radar now. Just follow us on Twitter. Well, I will say this. If you guys get us a list, we have no problems 
announcing that on 103.9 FM every single Saturday and, and, and give these kids the accolades that they deserve. Sean Dennehy, there's a million of them. Guys, I could keep rattling off names because I don't want to forget anyone. So so I'm, I'm missing someone. Yeah. Keep, keep rattling the names off. Gerald, you had something to say? I, I don't know if you were. Uh, Will Hart. I wanted to mention Will, Will Hart. Hart. Yeah, so we really appreciate you guys joining us as always. Uh, we'll get you on uh, as the uh, football season progressively moves forward. As, uh, uh, you know, Gerald, we'll, we'll talk off air. I know we've been very busy. I I, I, I did want to, you know, obviously give time to help these kids. Me and Ben talk about it all the time. I have a lot of background in sports and athletics, and I, I think that, you know, kids want somebody to look up to, and they've obviously are kids growing. And like I said, Ben Ben's kid is – 15 years old, 14 years old. I mean, Brandon Jacobs son is, is 15 years old, six foot five, 290 pounds or something like that. And he's built like a, a bohemoth. And he, and B Brandon said, Brandon said he's going to be the number, number one recruit in college football at, at the offensive line position, left tackle position uh, when he comes out in the next couple of years. And he believes that he's a first round. I know it's Brandon Jacob, but Brandon Jacobs has been around some great offense. He says his son is a first round draft pick by no doubt about it. That's how good he believes his son is going to be. So that's coming from a, a guy that's won two Super Bowls and was a big part of, of the New York Giants running game. So, uh, and, and by the way, I made a bet with him. And uh, if I win, if if I lose this year, um, going into next year, I, the Jets and Giants game, I'm taking Brandon Jacobs and his son to a giant, the Giants Jets game. So that was our bet. We had a bet, and uh, if you guys listen to the show, you would know that me and Brandon uh, are going to stick with that bet because I don't move away from bets, even though I uh, don't win all of them. So there you go. Um, anyways, guys, uh, uh, before we let you go, why don't you give the fans um, a little bit of information how they could find you guys on social media? And uh, obviously Long Island 495 elites and, and, and how they could find if they want their kids to play youth football or, you know, all the opportunities they can do for, to have their kids train uh, with your organization. The most important thing, especially for players and coaches, is to follow Long Island Elite on Twitter. So any of the kids that we failed to mention tonight, it wasn't like there's just so many of them. It's impossible. And we'll provide a lot more value when we can mention their name on our Twitter like we do and give you their highlight film and that sort of thing. So everything's done on Twitter with the coaches, with the college recruiters. Feel free to contact me anytime if you're a player and you need help and you want to know the blueprint, which is what we call it. We've been doing it. We know what we're doing. Um, we have great experience. And when I say, again, when I say we, it's not just me. It's the two gentlemen you see here. And it's a whole network of guys on Long Island and women on Long Island that are trying to help this thing. So most important, follow us on Twitter. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook, but Twitter's the most important thing. And we'll get you all the names and we'll keep promoting the hell out of our Long Island kids so we can get more offers to the top schools and get these kids into college. 495 Elite, guys. We really appreciate you guys joining the show, the Sports Loudmouths. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into this whole Sean, Deshaun Watson situation. The verdict is in. 11-game suspension. $5 million to the NFL. We'll get into LeBron James. St Stephen A. Smith opening his big fat mouth. We'll get into his crap. And, and the Cowboys likely to cut Ezekiel Elliott at the end of the season. And Mets and Yankees conversation. The Yankees are absolutely bombing tonight again. And the Mets, uh, 
Uh, have a young superstar in Beatty who looks like he's going to be a very nice player for the New York Mets moving forward. When we come back, we'll get into all that here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Sports Lab Mounts. I'm your host, Harold Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'd like to thank 495 Elite Long Island for joining us. Al Brown, uh, Gerald Filardi, and Benjamin Carey. They were awesome. Uh, gave us some really good takes on what's going on with youth football and, and the college rankings, the NIL, not the NIT. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that I rushed uh, on at adding that point, but uh, uh, thank you for all the, uh, the, the accolades for all the young kids that are, are trying to get, uh, obviously, um, scholarships going all over college football. So we really appreciate uh, Ben and them joining us. I want to get into this Deshaun Watson thing and – you know, I, I, to me, looking at Deshaun Watson and the, the negotiations, after he got the six-game suspension, he, had to, he didn't have to give the NFL any money, all of a sudden the NFL wanted to get him 20, 12 games. They wanted him to be paying 15 to $20 million to the NFL for what he did, whatever it was. And for him to take this 11-game suspension, okay, 11-game suspension, Shows me that he's guilty, okay? For him to sit here, I would have fought this. I would have fought it because now your season is practically over. The Browns are not making the playoffs. Are they gonna they're gonna bet on Jacoby Brissett to win them at least eight games before Deshaun Watson comes back? Because that's what they're gonna need the way the Baltimore Ravens are set up, the way the Bengals are set up. Even with Pittsburgh, with their newly defined defense, and obviously Jack and and some of the defensive uh, players that they brought in through the draft, and obviously Bush possibly coming back this year as well. So this is going to be a much more high-flying defense than they were last year, one of the top defenses in the NFL. And they actually have a quarterback, well, we hope. The Pittsburgh Steelers have an absolute stud as a quarterback in Pickens, Pickett, or, or maybe... Uh, Trubinsky, he looks pretty good in the first preseason game. We'll see how they move forward with Mitchell Trubinsky. The questions are right now with this whole Deshaun Watson thing is, why did he take this negotiation? Why did he negotiate from a six-game? He won it. He won the six-game suspension. Why did he decide to take the 11-game suspension? Why did he decide to give the NFL $5 million it only shows guilt in my eye, Speedy. That's what it shows. Definitely does. I think there's some level of guilt that is going to be made even without all the with the other settlements in there, too. You could pay off all the people you want. That doesn't mean all the people are going to be justific- justified in saying that you're innocent or you're guilty later on. And I was thinking it was either going to come down to one of those things. The, the NFL wanted to push the 12-game suspension and the 8 to $10 million fine, which Deshaun Watson wasn't going to take. And I said it was either going to fall in the money that he lost or in the games that he lost. 
lost. It turned out to be the games. Or it, turned out, it turned out to be the money. He only got a $5 million fine, so practically cut in half. And then they got the 11-game suspension, which, yes, is going to hinder the Browns from making the playoffs because they would have probably have to go at least 7-4 and four for them to start the season. And playing in the AFC North, it's going to be very difficult. In the AFC? Yeah. And a lot of those tiebreaker games are going to be doable. Now, the Browns aren't going to be the worst team in the league. They're not going to be like 5-12 and 12 because of this. They're, they'll still be competitive, but they're not going to be a playoff team just on those circumstances alone, barring some kind of reversal. But yeah, You think they're going to be competitive with Jacoby some, In some games. In some games. You've got to remember, remember the season Andrew Luck surprisingly retired too. Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback for the Colts. They started 6-3, and three, and they just fell apart late in the season. So this Browns team is better than that Colts team, so I think they could be competitive. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs. How many times have we heard from you saying that the Browns, you thought they were going to the Super Bowl last year. Uh-huh. I so did. I don't care what talent shows you. The talent has to show on the field. Sure. And, and they don't that. have – and the most important position is the quarterback position, the guy that's going to hand the ball off, the guy that's going to throw the ball. And by the way, how many weapons do they have on the field besides Amari uh, uh, Cooper? They don't have the weapons that they had with Odell Beckham and um, – uh, I'm sorry, who's the Jarvis other one? Landry, Jarvis yeah. Landry and the, and the weapons that they had over there like they did a year or two years ago. They don't have the weapons anymore. Kareem Hunt's not happy over there. But Chubb can't stay healthy. So what gives you the thought in your mind that Jacoby Brissett is going to win multiple games? I don't see it. Yeah, I don't. I, he screwed it. Deshaun Watson screwed the Browns this year. Well, yeah, that was the price they were going to do well in this trade anyway. The Browns made a big gamble knowing that oh, the whole Baker Mayfield saga that went on last season, now him having the, the shoulder surgery, and then him having his fallout with the organization. They had to trade him. He wasn't going to play, even if Deshaun Watson was suspended for the whole season. Baker said he wasn't going to play. So they took a huge, huge gamble that maybe will pay off in years to come, but he's making a lot of money. Keep that in mind. This is a year for the Browns that they're not paying Deshaun Watson very much, so they were able to keep some of their current guys, but who says that's going to be the case in the future either so it's a huge gamble the front office is taking doing this but yeah the the actual suspension about what I thought I I said 10 games at the beginning I I didn't know about the fine but yeah that's a a massive, I guess, compromise for that kind of thing, for that, for what the NFL wanted. Because Roger Goodell wanted the whole season, and obviously that wasn't going to happen with what Deshaun Watson was going to say. 631-672-3108. Again, I'd like to thank uh, 495 Elite Football for joining us. They were awesome. And uh, we're talking to Deshaun Watson right now and how just absolutely despicable this man is. And uh, I, I stuck up for Deshaun because there was nothing that told me that Deshaun Watson was guilty. And now all of a sudden you're seeing him negotiate a deal with the NFL, which gives him 11-game suspension and $5 million. To me, that's guilty, guilty, guilty as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I would have fought this. I, I would have taken the six games. I would have ran with it. I would have taken this all the way to the end of the season this year. You would have came back for you know week seven, and maybe the NFL just leaves you alone. Maybe they just leave you alone. I, we've seen this before with the whole Tom Brady thing. They just, you know, with the flake aid. Uh, I, I think that if Deshaun Watson would have just fought this, it would have taken it all the way to the end of the season this year, and then it could have had, you know, they could have fought it next year, and maybe, maybe takes four, four or five more games next year. At least he doesn't miss practically all the games this year, which costs the Browns possibly a playoff run with the players and the ta- ta- talent that they have now. And then they decide to part ways with Baker Mayfield, who goes to Carolina. Could you imagine if Carolina makes the playoffs and, Bra- and the Browns don't? All because they decided to part ways with Baker and bring in a guy like uh, Deshaun Watson, who's much more talented than Baker Mayfield. I think he's one of the top five uh, quarterbacks in the league before he decided to uh, sit out for this season the way he did. Um, But I I think this is an embarrassment. I think the Browns just show 
that they they like to bring on guys that are just complete embarrassments to an organization that has really grown over the last couple of years. And for, to draft Baker Mayfield and push him away because you thought that Deshaun Watson would give you a better chance to win, well, what about this year? You're losing a year of Deshaun Watson's contract. That's what he signed, a five-year deal? I think it was, it was a, five- a five-year, $230 million deal. Now, this year, he's, uh, he's only getting $10 million. So but- you're losing one year of Deshaun Watson football. So you have four years left. If you don't win with Deshaun Watson, and let's say Baker Mayfield, the easy NFC, you know, trails this, brings this team to the playoffs and maybe makes a run, what are you going to say then? What are you going to say as Brown fans booing him, taking shots at his wife, all the different things that you heard over the last couple? Because he played with a hurt shoulder and, and, and played his heart and his ass out, and then all of a sudden you parted ways with him because you thought you got a better uh, um, better player in Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, can't keep his you-know-what to himself. So it, it, this is this is an embarrassment, and this just makes the Browns even look stupid, mm-hmm. even more stupid than they have as an organization as uh, you know over the last couple of years. Think about this too. Take away this year, which is the ten million dollars, you're essentially going into a four year two hundred twenty million dollars after that. That's more than what Aaron Rodgers is making per year. And you're not gonna be able to keep all that depth if you're gonna have that case. The Browns roster is great right now. You're not gonna be able to keep all that. Guys are gonna get up to contracts. You gotta pay a lot of that twenty eighteen draft class soon, which was very good for them. Twenty nineteen draft class will be up if they're not first round picks. A lot of those corners, safeties that they drafted, most of their defense is homegrown come from that outside of their stars. So you're not gonna be able to keep all that. And you need depth in today's NFL, and it's going to be very hard. So you better hope Deshaun Watson bounces back to the top five quarterback he was in 2019. But it might be hard not playing for all of last season and then first 11 games this season. It's going to be very difficult. And then going into the season, and, and some of these teams, like even the New York teams, everybody, there's so many questions for both teams here in New York. I mean, Daniel Jones, is he the, is he the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants? Is he going to show up this year? Is Dable going to really change the way he plays, you know, either? Either in the shotgun or, or you know, behind, obviously behind center or whatever the hell they call it. I, who knows? Now, obviously, the Giants' defense are they going to have a powerhouse defense over the years when they won Super Bowls in 2007 and 2011? Are they going to have that top end defense? Now, we've heard about Thibodeau. We ta- heard about um, who's the other kid that they drafted last year from Georgia? Ozolari. Yep. Ozolari, uh, where they're, they're trying to say that this tandem could actually mimic the tandem that they had with Strahan and and. Uh, you know, OCU yeah. and or or somebody like that, or Justin Tuck and OCU and your and 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 J uh, and um, JPP. Yep. So uh, who knows? Who knows what they're going to be? Who knows what Thibodeau is going to be as an NFL player? Uh, so it, again, these are questions. And then with the Jets, with the Zach Wilson situation, knowing that there's a there's a quarterback class coming up next year, are the Jets going to depend on this year to decide if? Joe Douglas is going to have a job, or is Zach Wilson the quarterback of the future for this team? Because, honestly, if Zach Wilson doesn't play or show the Jets that he has any um, any thought that he, that, they, that he doesn't have any thought that he could be the future or the franchise quarterback for this organization, well, the Jets are going to move on from, obviously, Zach Wilson and go into another draft in, what, six years and draft probably three top ten quarterbacks. If you think about it. The New York Jets are the first team in NFL history in a three-year span to draw to draft two of the top three quarterbacks in three different classes. Could you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Not even the Browns quarterback graveyard is that bad. Could you imagine that? Sam Darnold was drafted at three three years ago, now almost four years ago, and now you had Zach Wilson. That's two years. That's 
two quarterbacks in the top three in less than three years. And then you give up on both of them. You say trade Sam Darnold and for a second or fourth. Maybe you make out on it. Maybe you don't. Yeah. It looks like they could. With Clemens, he looks like a player. And Jermaine Johnson, that could really solidify their defense for the future. And then, uh, obviously, uh, with Zach Wilson, if the Jets do draft a quarterback next year, and they could, and, and Joe Douglas might be looking for another job because we have seen this before. If you're wrong about the quarterback, no matter how it – now, Joe Douglas could save it, even if Zach Wilson isn't the guy. Let's say Clemens turns out to be a beast, and Jermaine Johnson looks good, and Elijah Moore looks good, and Brees Hall looks good, and Michael Carter looks like he's a leader in one drive, and all these guys turn out, but Zach Wilson doesn't, maybe he keeps his job. Maybe uh, the Jets decide to bring to keep Joe Douglas for another year and let him draft another quarterback. But we have seen this many, many times, and, 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 and GMs and coaches lose their job because they depend on that quarterback to take them to that next level. And it, it just... So far, it doesn't look good for the Jets. But again, one year doesn't sell me on Zach Wilson. But this year, Zach Wilson's going to have to make a huge. He's got to show me huge growth and 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 huge steps forward to for me to, to and to for me to be sold that Zach Wilson is the quarterback of the future. And that comes full circle to Andrew Barry as well with the Browns too, because he, he did very well with his last couple drafts as well, rebuilding this team with the, the draft picks that they got in other trades when they were trying to shed all those god awful contracts that they had. And they've drafted well, built a very good roster. But if you're wrong on the quarterbacks, that is going to hinder that. And this Deshaun Watson swing is going to be that kind of move where the Browns aren't going to be drafting three quarterbacks in six years like the Jets would. But they, how many years? of bad quarterbacks do they have? A whole century worth of it so far. So it's not like they haven't gone through that before. And it also comes in an offseason, too, that had Russell Wilson get traded where they mm-hmm. could have went for him instead. Aaron Rodgers was very close to not being a Green Bay Packer, where they could, maybe if Cleveland went for a big, massive four or five first-round pick offer, they could have traded for him instead. And even on a, on, a, on a slightly smaller level, maybe somebody like Kirk Cousins before he got the extension with the Vikings, Matt Ryan, who got traded to the Colts. If you just wanted a guy that could be a solid quarterback in that system with the running backs and the tight ends, that they have in that fantastic offensive line. The Browns just took this big swing instead and now have to pay all that money, and now they're going to not even get 11 games this season out of it and miss the playoffs. So that's going to be a big price to Andrew Barry's job, just like it could be with Joe Douglas of the Jets. Joe Douglas has drafted very well, too, outside of a couple picks in 2020, and Andrew Barry might be on that same And look at Mekhi Beckham. I mean, he could yeah. be another guy that failed as a, as a first-round draft pick for the New York Jets. If... We don't know where he's going to be next year. If the Jets decide to trade him or bring him back, I think they're going to bring him back because they still have control of him. He, he's going on to his fourth year. They could give him the extension for a fifth year. And the Jets could, if, if Mekhi Beckham shows up next year and plays well, the Jets don't have to overpay uh, an offensive tackle that's going to make 20 to $25 million because he hasn't proven himself to stay healthy. So the Jets can actually be lucky and maybe sign Mekhi Beckham for a cheaper price, maybe $12, $11 million, and that could save the cost for if Zach Wilson's the guy or the next quarterback that they bring in, a Bryce Young or somebody like that. Who knows? So the Jets could turn out to have a good season and show up with the talent that they have, or they can have a bad season because of the quarterback play. I right now think that Joe Flacco is a good 
veteran quarterback that can help Zach Wilson along, and that's something that Zach Wilson needed in the beginning of the season last year and really made him – I think the Jets made a mistake letting him go and, and then bringing it back in, in the, 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 uh, and giving up a sixth-round draft pick for Joe, Joe Flacco when they should have never gotten rid of him. And that affected Zach Wilson's growth last year, and I think it helped Zach Wilson in the second half of the season, having a quarterback of Joe Flacco's stature who could still be a starting quarterback in the NFL. You heard Robert Sala, you heard Joe Douglas. We've heard other coaches say that Joe Flacco still has a couple of years left if he wants to play in this league. So for the Jets to have a veteran quarterback of that magnitude to help him out and help this kid grow, maybe it helps him, maybe it doesn't. But there's one thing that has to it has to show up on the leaderboard this year. I want to see growth. I want to see 20 touchdowns. I want to see over 35 to 3,800 yards. I want to see Zach Wilson show me what he is made of when it, com- when it comes down to the, the, gr- the crunch time or comes down to the nitty and the gritty and down to the trenches. Don't tell me and don't sell me that you don't have an offensive line with Dwayne Brown and obviously Font and Elijah Vera Tucker and Lincoln Thomason. You spend the money. You gave those guys the money. Two pro ball players last year. You have two of them on the same side of the line. There is no excuses anymore, Zach. You have two running backs, Brees Hall and, obviously, Michael Carter, who's going to be a leader this year. I see him on Jets 1 Drive. Funny kid. It looks like he's, he's really taking steps forward as a running back in this league. Snuck says, Baker Mayfield equals MVP. Let's be honest, it's Cleveland. I doubt that they will win with or without Deshaun yep. Watson. Yep. Uh, LOL, the Jets will cut Beckton and the Patriots will sign him. He'll be all, all pro. Yeah, Snuck, that's what I was, I was kind of saying because this is – me coming from the Brown, the guy I picked the Browns in the AFC in the Super Bowl last year, and I was dead wrong. They have a lot of talent, but they're not going to be able to keep all of it because of that. And that's why this gamble is just way too much for that kind of thing. The, the Browns this year, if they lucked out and he was only suspended half the season, could have been that team, but he, right. they weren't. Now, you're not going to, you already want, you already have Kareem Hunt who wants out. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to keep a lot of those defensive backs that you drafted the last, I would say, three years. Denzel Ward got paid nice. Miles Garrett got paid nice, but you should. They don't have to keep all the depth guys. You still have to pay Nick Chubb. He's going to be up after this year as well. And I don't even know if they're going to be able to. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to either. Uh, Jedrick Wills, who they just drafted in the first round, the same as Beckton draft. He's going to be up after next year. So you're going to have to decide what to do with him. A lot of these other guards are two of the best guards in if the If anything, Deshaun Watson screwed the Browns. Right. He did because mm-hmm. having this problem and getting suspended for this of uh, this magnitude for eleven games, this cost them possibly the season this year, right. and then next year you're going to lose a lot of your talent because you can't pay them. Yeah, you're talking about a contract that is over fifty million dollars. It not just only in just raw salary, then also mentioned signing bonuses too, and all the other incentives that might be into his deal too. So now you're talking about a case where the Browns might not have to purge as much as maybe the Texans would have had to because that roster was horrible. They might not be that bad, but they're still not going to be as good as the Ravens or the Bengals long term, who are have very affordable contracts right now. The Bengals will have to pay a lot of down the road. Okay, fine, but the Browns are going to have to as well. They have all this talent. They had all these first round picks over the years. It's going to add up and. And in this AFC, that's not going to bode well. So good luck, Browns. And as far as the Cowboys are concerned, and you hear the story that the Cowboys are likely to cut Ezekiel Elliott. Are we surprised about that? Honestly. Ezekiel Elliott, and I, I love Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke has been a, a fan favorite. I, I follow the Ohio State Buckeyes. I remember the season that he had in his uh, his last year. He had record-breaking numbers. I didn't think he was a top-five pick. I thought he was a top-ten pick, but the Cowboys really believed in him. And, and 
maybe they're right. I mean, they, he did get drafted in the same draft, I think, as Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, and the Cowboys, I think, should have taken Jalen Ramsey. And I actually had a friend who was a Cowboys fan, too. It was so annoyed they didn't take Jalen Ramsey. So, I, I mean, didn't he get drafted over Joey Bosa, too? No, he oh, got Joe, right, third. After, right third. after Joey, Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa was yeah. three. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I am not surprised with this. Uh, I feel bad for Ezekiel Elliott because I don't think people – understand how talented Zeke is. And if you look at Zeke's number when he is healthy, he's every year he's over a thousand yards. He, he's still getting, giving you, you know, eight to nine touchdowns. He's had a fantastic career. Is he a hall of famer? Is he Barry Sanders? <laughs> like, you know, obviously the beef thinks he's not okay, but I think he's been a successful running back. But here's the problem as good and as successful as a running back, he is, what has he done in the playoffs? What is he has he helped the Cowboys get to an NFC title game? Has he helped them go to a Super Bowl and win? The answer is no. And that's what you play for. Not for money, not for accolades for who you are as a running back. You're playing to win Super Bowls. And that's why everybody calls Tom Brady the GOAT because he's won seven Super Bowls. And that's why it, it, it don't matter. And, but also, Tom Brady has statistics and all that other stuff. But what I'm trying to say is, Tom Brady's not going to be looked at and remembered with his stats. He's going to be looked at for what he did in, in a championship game, taking his team to so many championships and being successful. I think he's been to 10 Super Bowls, yep. and he's won 7 out of seven 10. And three. Yep. I mean, so when you look at that, those, those numbers are what stands out, not the fact that Ezekiel Elliott ran 8,000 yards in nine seasons. Nobody cares. So, I, I mean, that hurts Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I don't know where Zeke is going to go. I, I don't know what's going to happen this season. He could have a breakout season and have 1,600 yards. He's still not going to be a Cowboy next year. He's not. And a lot of people believe that he, they tried to keep him this long because him and Dak Prescott are best friends. What is the? Who cares? You're trying to win a Super Bowl, Jerry. And I, Jerry has been very, very stupid over the last couple of months because there are some stupid things that have come out of his mouth. His own sons told him to shut up. Okay, he's showing his draft, uh, you know, board and how he drafts. That affects the team and where they go next year in the draft. Just how dumb Jerry is, and and, and just Jerry has not been a good Samaritan to the the Cowboys nation. They really, ha- he really hasn't. And it, and the Cowboys, you say whatever you want about the Cowboys fans, and a lot of people, as you heard, Brandon Jacobs, he can't stand Cowboy fans. I respect the love and compassion the Cowboy fans have for their team. I do. I mean, they're wrong, and they think that they're always right, and they think their team's always going to win a Super Bowl and get into the playoffs and do damage. They always get damaged, but they don't do damage. But I respect the love and compassion that they have for their football team. So say whatever you want about the, the, the fans as a whole. The compassion that they have uh, as, a, as a, a fan base is fantastic. It really is. And the love that they have for their players and their team is fantastic. Snuck says, nah, the Browns knew he was in deep blank, and I'm sure management talked to the NFL and set expectations for the suspension. What? They're cutting Zeke. Yeah, likely after the season, Snug. How could you have the greatest running back in NFL history? Let's see a beave a health and wellness check based on this news. All hail the Brady Goat. And what if Kyrie, Jerry Jones, and Colin Coward hosted a podcast together? Could you imagine all three of those oh, guys? God. I don't know. Would, would Kyrie Irving criticize all, Colin Coward and vice versa? I, I mean, don't think Colin would let Kyrie even speak. Okay, uh, Probably. <laughs> and Jerry Jones, forget it, with his accent, his Texas accent. Could you imagine his hick accent at yeah. that show? <laughs> that would be funny. I, I mean, seriously. it would. I mean, Kyrie has his, like... Uh, I, you know, oh, the earth is flat. 
you know, and all those random, Ooh. random language. How did that guy yeah. go to Duke? I mean, seriously, I love Kyrie. I'm a Duke Blue Devils fan. How did that man go to Duke when he thinks the earth is flat? Well, he still thinks the earth is flat. It's probably like what you were discussing with Maybe the... his brain is flat. Oh, yeah, there is there is also that. But it's probably what you were discussing with the LA Elite guys about an hour ago. Uh, how many so many pl- schools paid these guys under the table? Uh, that could have been Duke as well. I know yeah. you're a Duke fan, but uh, it's possible. Well, there's no proof like that Irving. happened. There's no, 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 no proof there's no proof that, that happened. happened, but who knows. But going back to Jerry Jones, I also think he hasn't evolved in terms of the modern game yet, too. He's still stuck in a lot of the older ways. Now, the Cowboys have done well drafting. They've done well in player development, stuff like that, but only at certain positions, too, yeah. like running backs. They've done well with linebackers. They've done well with offensive linemen. And it, but that has really been the only level of consistency when it comes to that. And, yes, Micah Parsons has been a fantastic player. Yes. And, yes, Leighton Van Der Esch has been good when he's healthy. I want to see too. Micah Parsons do it two years in a row. But it doesn't seem like they're really hitting on as much of the premier positions that they've needed to win in today's game, too. They've struggled with pass rushers. They Certain years they've struggled with wide receivers. Now they have CeeDee Lamb fine, but how many times, how many years did they have Des Bryant and nobody else after that? And that you can't win in today's league like that. The Rams won the Super Bowl in the midst of three, four receivers deep. You need more than one in today's NFL. And the Cowboys have really not evolved to that. And also, Jerry loves to just take the flashy players, even if it's a reach, too. And you just can't do that in today's game. And now in this case, you're paying the flashy players because Ezekiel, yes, very talented for the first four years of his career, great numbers, productive guy. But you don't pay running backs like that. And the, his types of running backs are dying out, too. You need guys that can do both, catch passes, run routes, and run the ball, which Ezekiel Elliott really hasn't been that guy. Yes, he had, had some years with a bunch he's of catches. He's had great years. With a bunch of catches. But is he a Hall of Famer? Or no, 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 definitely not. yet. Not. I think he needs to have another three years, four years of 1,000 yards. And maybe he can. It just won't be with the Cowboys. It, it's going to be with another organization. Right. And is that organization going to give him a chance to be that number one guy? Because a lot of these running backs are now getting drafted. You, you, you have them for three years, and then they get rid of you, dispose of them. As the Patriots, they love doing that. Correct. They and, love doing that. And also, you got to think, and in, 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 this is going to be a first wave of this rotation, too, because of the way NFL front offices think. Is Ezekiel Elliott going to be happy with a potential, not necessarily backup role, but like a platoon-type role because he isn't the pass-catching type guy, and he's getting older, too. He's about he's 27 entering this season, and he's going to get older, so how many good years left do you have in him? I think three. Yeah, think but three. again, what kind of role is he going to have, and is he going to be satisfied with that role in another team, too? Because the Cowboys have always given him the volume. Even with Mike McCarthy, who didn't like him as much, he still got 237 and 244 carries in each of those two seasons. So is another team going to give him that level of volume? And that's the big thing that's going to be judged with these second contracts of these newer running backs. You watch, he's going to go to Houston. That's where he's going to go. Yes. <laughs> he'll go to Houston because Houston will give him the ball and he'll have a chance to play. Right. And that's, that's why I think he'll go to Houston. Uh, but... Who knows? Who knows where Zeke goes? I don't believe he'll be a Cowboy next year, no matter how good of a season he has. And he could have a fantastic season. I, I think he might. I, I really do. Because as much as everybody likes Pollard, I, I still think that uh, he's the better running back out of the two. Pollard was also inconsistent last yes. year, too. So he kind of died out in the second half of the season. And the Cowboys, I, I'm not saying Zeke was great every game. He's but... cheap, and that's why the Cowboys will keep him. Right. And move on from Zeke. You'll draft a running back in the second or third round, just like the Jets did. The, the Jets waited for somebody to fall. Brees Hall was the best running back in the draft. They waited for him to fall in the second, and they jumped on it. And 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 maybe they benefit from it. Maybe they don't. I mean, will only time will tell with the Jets and what uh, you know the running backs again. Michael Carter looks like he's the real deal. I watched him. I, I've listened to him on one Jets one drive. I think he's one of the leaders of the New York Jets, and I, I think he's a fantastic personality. And I've heard Elijah Moore say that. 
Uh, he makes everybody laugh on the sidelines. He's the funny guy. And, and that's something that you need, win or lose. Because, you know, when you're a losing organization and you're losing all the time, you need somebody to brighten up your day no matter what. And I think the Jets, over the years, I don't think they had that guy. I think everybody would like to assume this guy or that guy. Juno Smith likes to get knocked out. That's something that will make me laugh. <laughs> I mean, but, but besides that, I, I think the Jets just haven't had that bright side. I mean, Rex Ryan was might have been the clown of the, the, the bunch, but – I, I mean, and Mark Sanchez eating hot dogs on the sideline, but <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this organization has never had that funny guy that you can say, wow, that guy's a clown. He's funny as hell, and, he, and he's a good player. So uh, I, maybe Michael Carter's the guy, and I, I've heard a lot of good things about him. Did they ever, do a, they ever do a hard knocks at Rex Ryan that year? Yes, they did. They did, okay. They did do a hard knocks. It was very interesting with the, with the way Rex Ryan likes to uh, you know push his players and, and some of the different things he likes to do on and off the field. Good. So I, I would like to see the Jets – you know, with this, but the Lions, the hard knocks for the Lions have been very interesting. I watched the second episode the other day, and I, I love what you know. Obviously, their coach is doing, and 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 listen, he works out with the players, he trains with the players, and I, I think that's something. And he's definitely has that that personality that you want as a head coach. Right. I mean, players loved him. Yeah. Miami's players didn't want to let him go when he was the interim over there in 2015. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it, you know, watching hard knocks, you you get to know a coach, you get to know some of the players, and and what some of these players, uh, you know, like to do on and off the field. So it's definitely interesting. If you guys haven't checked out Hard Knocks on the line, you know, with the Lions uh, on HBO, go check it out. It's, it's very good. It's been very good for the first two episodes that I've watched. I'm looking forward to we, uh, episode three um, this coming week, this coming Monday. So, uh, or Sunday, Sunday night. No, is it? No, it's Monday. I'm not Monday. Sure. I think I it's Monday. I don't have HBO. So I, sure. I think it's Monday. I watch it at, at the day after. So I've been okay. watching it every Tuesday or Wednesday. So, Yesterday, I actually watched Harn- the the second episode, which was very interesting. I, I like Hutchinson. I, I like his personality. I, I like everything about the kid. I, I, he did a Michael jo- Jackson dance in, in week oh, did he? <laughs> episode uh, episode one, and he was singing, and it was it was very funny. It mm. really was, and uh, I, I like the way that he the coach kind of like makes them you know realize that the players are as as important as the coaches and. And, and I think that's what I like about what I see with the Browns. I, I mean, with the Lions. And I think that that's going to transition the Lions to be a winning organization is the coaching and the way they push their players. So very impressed with uh, what uh, the Lions have done so far in hard knocks. Stokes says Kyrie is crazy like a fox. That show would end up with a three-way fist fight every day. You are crazy, Speedy. Romo slash Prescott is good, steady quarterbacking. Way better than Favre Rogers if it was. Kenny, call the show, bro. We need fresh insight. <laughs> Zeke's future Detroit Lion rich, uh, written all over him. This, the, the Lions are set at running back. That's actually one of the strikes of their team, so I don't know about that, Slug. Uh, if you look at the way of the background of the first episode, you could see Earl streak across the practice field with a worldwide sports network banner and a smile. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, you know what's so funny with listening to Snug and Jeff's stupidity on this this feed, which I'm not even paying any mind to because Jeff's a moron, and if Jeff doesn't like what he hears, then don't listen to the show. Uh, I don't really care, honestly. Uh, I mean, he's got an outlook to everything. I give him a chance to speak. The guy's a moron. He doesn't know anything. The only thing I give him respect for is college football, but anything else, he knows crap. And he has his own takes on attacking people and what people say. When he attacked me about the Patriots last week, and I, he said I couldn't name one defensive player on the Patriots, I named six of them. 
the problem with Jeff is he thinks he knows more than everybody else. Why don't he just go back to betting and losing all his money or living at his parents' house because he's a loser? So that's all I'm going to say about Jeff. I'm not going to waste my time and my airtime on a guy that has no sense of humor or no personality. I used to respect him as a person on the phone, but when you text me when I'm working or I'm going to a hospital or taking care of my own medical problems and he is texting me the garbage that he texts me, I have no respect for and I don't respect him as a person, okay? Because if he has any sympathy and personality, he would understand that. But you know what? He's fat and stupid, and that's all he is. And he should just go eat a Twinkie and shut the hell up because that's all he is. Uh, yeah, you're a loser, dude, 100%. An absolute loser. And, and if you keep on talking, I'll block you on the show, and you don't have to watch the show anymore because you're a dumbass and you talk a lot of crap. You got a lot to say about everybody else, but you want to know something. You need to look in the mirror. You telling us the fake things that you're hanging out with women and stuff like that. Let's, let's see the women that you actually hang out with because, honestly, I don't think any woman would hang out with a loser like you. Now, that's all I'm going to say. Um, Stephen A. Smith you know, said some interesting things uh, today, and... I didn't get a chance to read it. And Speedy, you know, you brought this up. So why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about what you heard about Stephen A. Smith? So Stephen A. Smith went on a serious XM show and he said that the Utah Jazz are now asking for RJ Barrett and five to six first round picks in exchange for the Donovan Mitchell trade, which ups the seven first round picks in terms of the overall value because now you're adding in RJ Barrett and it just shows Danny Ainge's uh, stinginess again, once again, hating the Knicks, doing whatever. And for the love of God, if the Knicks accept this, I, I like Donovan Mitchell as a player a lot, but that is a lot to ask for. I don't think I don't think that. First of all, Stephen A. Smith is always trying to find a story, and, and this is a story. It, it, Nick fans are going to be upset if if this happens. They, they trade R.J. Barrett. I, I like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is a great talent. But to give away a 21-year-old kid for a 25-year-old kid, you don't even know what R.J. Barrett could be. R.J. Barrett could be Donovan Mitchell, okay? I don't know, but I'd say this. R.J. Barrett's a better defender than Donovan Mitchell. He's a better two-way player than Donovan Mitchell. So it throws me off to think that Stephen A. Smith throwing these curveballs and trying to trade off pieces or trying to trade off one of the the Knicks' best young prospects or best young players for a guy of this magnitude. And I, I, again... Donovan Mitchell is a fantastic player. He really is. But to trade your best young player for him and five or six first-round drafts, that's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, if they take this, I am going to be annoyed because I know they're not trading all any of the young ones on their roster, but R.J. Barrett is a guy that really looked like he was turning a corner in the second half of the season big time. Now, there are issues still in his game with efficiency. There are issues still in his game with turnovers, what he's been handling the ball, but he's grown on so many other levels, too, when it comes to free throw shooting, when it comes to his defense being better at this point in his career than Donovan Mitchell has been. Donovan Mitchell came out as a prospect very good defensively and has And why would he say, does he know something? Is he bringing this up just to cause stir? Because I haven't heard anything about R.J. Barrett being part of this trade. I haven't heard any I, of I just heard that Danny Ainge initially wanted it, but it was kind of a long shot. It was thought of as a long shot at this point. If, if Donovan Mitchell were to be traded at the trade deadline to the Knicks like we were thinking initially. I'm hearing that the Knicks are, are right now, they've reached out. Uh, to the Utah Jazz, and they're they're renegotiating this deal, right. which we expected to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen right away, but uh, you know, preseason's coming up pretty fast. I think it's about coming a month, up yeah, about a month. So it, the Knicks are going to have to do something because they need to get him acclimated into the defense and the offense. You can't just bring him on, you know, 
during preseason and expect this kid to, to get and, and understand the offense and the way they run their offense, especially with Jalen Brunson being your point or maybe moving Jalen Brunson to your, your two. I, I don't know how you're going to do it. I, I don't know how, wh- how this makes sense with two guys that are not that big. I mean, uh, if you look at Donovan Mitchell, what is he, 6'1"? Six, 6'2", six, yep. Yeah, and then you have Brunson, who's what? Barely 6 feet. 5'10", 5'11". Right. I mean, you get bringing in two guys that, you know, obviously are going to be a very small one and two. That's probably the smallest in, in the NBA. So, and how are they going to defend the bigger guards? That's going to be something that the, the, the Knicks are going to have to figure out, especially when if you decide to put R.J. Barrett on the best guard on the other team, which he could defend ones and twos. Right. If you do that, the, the size difference that you're going to have to deal with in the open court, uh, I mean, if you play Boston right now, and you look at their starting lineup right now, with Williams, uh, Jason Tatum, uh, Brown is like 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, six, yep. I, I mean, they're one of the biggest teams in the Eastern Conference right now. Even what, what's his name again, who they brought in from? Brogdon, yeah. Uh, Brogdon, he's a pretty big guard. I mean, he's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, six, yeah. he's, he's a big guard. How are they going to defend these guards, if they're, it, it, especially in the middle of the game, with the size difference that they're going to have? And I don't want to hear that they – now, they could play the 2-3 zone. I, I think that's something very interesting that they could look at. And, and maybe somebody like Thibodeau, who's a very def- good defensive mind, maybe decides to play that Syracuse. But we've seen this before. It doesn't work in the NBA. Right. The 2-3 zone doesn't work in the NBA. So how is this going to work if you bring in a Donovan Mitchell? So I, I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah, it only works. It has worked in spurts in the NBA. It hasn't worked where it could be your only long-term defensive commitment the same way it can be in college basketball. Now, give Syracuse and Jim Beheim credit. They made it work, and other teams have started to adapt it too. But in the NBA, it only works in certain matchups. We saw Golden State do it a couple times towards the end of their playoff run this season too against Dallas and some games at the end of the game against Boston, but that was really it. Yeah, it can happen on an occasional thing. Maybe to implement that R.J. Barrett matchup with the guard, maybe to implement something where they can contain the other guards and force them to pass inside and maybe go one-on-one there. But it's going to be very hard to make that kind of thing work in the NBA with the way the, the prowess of these wings shooting now and these bigger guys shooting. It's very hard to make that work. And that's the biggest problem I have with them trading R.J. Barrett in this potential deal. Now, I did hear that the Raptors are another team that are is still very interested in landing Donovan Mitchell. Is Donovan, does Donovan Mitchell want to go to Toronto? That's the question with the tax problem. Now, I'll give Jeff a little bit of credit because he likes to bring up the taxes over there in Canada and allow how, why would players want to go over there when the taxes are so damn high over there and, and, and the pay is not like it is, like, let's say, you know, in you know Texas where there's no property tax or something like that, state taxes or whatever the hell it is. So I, I can't see Donovan Mitchell wanting to go over there. And you don't want to trade him to a team where he doesn't want to be or doesn't want to play for because then, you know, just like right now with Kevin Durant and we're seeing what's going on with Kevin Durant, he don't want to be in Brooklyn. So he could say, you know what, you don't trade me, I'm not playing. You know, so – that's that's the interesting you know shockwave with this with this whole thing. The NBA is run by players now. It's not run by ownership. It's not run by uh, obviously the commissioner. It is run by players, and that has a lot to do with LeBron James. You want to say he hurt the game, but also Steph Curry, also the the, the stars now in the league. Yep. Chris Paul speaks out. He's the, he's in the players' union. He says what he feels, and he hasn't hid behind what he believes the NBA should be turning into. It is a players' league. He believes that the players should be in charge of their destination and where they want to play, which I disagree. And I think the NBA and um, 
uh, who's at the commission? I'm sorry, um, Adam, Silver. Adam Silver should decide and figure out how it makes sense, how it, how it, this could work, and, and weigh in the options that they have when the CBA comes up in the next couple of years. One could only hope there would be some level of balance too, because yes, there is a salary cap. Yes, there are some certain rules with these trades and matching contracts and stuff, but it doesn't seem like that. It, it seems like the NBA is still inflated with these massive, massive contracts. Not that these players don't deserve it. I think Luka Doncic, the contract he got, Trey Young, guys like that, they've deserved their contracts that they've gotten this offseason. It's just a matter of making it work where they can still have parity in the league. And if you have other franchises that are just being worn down where nobody's going to want to go there because of geographic location, that's going to make it very difficult as it is to begin with. Teams that are in those locations are going to always have to build. And the NBA has had that problem more than any other sport because of that. Baseball has it a little bit too, but you've seen some uh, small market teams strive and not super big cities either. Now, yeah. And that's where it comes to the fact of Toronto making it very difficult. They had to trade a lot in order to get Kawhi Leonard just to get him there, and then mm-hmm. they couldn't even keep him. So Donovan Mitchell, it might be the same kind of situation if that's what they want to push. Also, do they have enough to make that kind of trade based on what the Knicks have been trying to, or what Danny Ainge has been wanting to get from the Knicks too? Is going to be very hard to come by too. A lot of the a lot of the guys on their roster are young, yes, good young players, but are specialists right now, and they don't really have that other. Outside of Scotty Barnes, young, mm. young guy to develop off of it. You can say, all right, that guy's like R.J. Barrett. It can take that upside leap. But I like the growth of some of these young high school players, and I, I've watched, uh, you know, obviously um, the Boozer brothers. They, they look like they're one of the one of the I, I forget what his name is, but one of the Boozer brothers is going to be the top prospect uh, coming out of high school ball. He could be some people say it could be the best prospect to ever come out of high school ever. You're talking about LeBron James. You're talking about Kobe Bryant. Some of these guys. They think that this kid is going to be the the best prospect to ever come out of high school. So the NBA is moving in good potential opportunities where you're going to have these top end prospects that are going to come out and take over for LeBron James and over the years with Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan's and all the great players that we've seen in the NBA in the history. So uh, the Suns is Cameron and Caden Boozer. I don't know which one you're referring to as the number one. What? I'm sorry. Uh, Cameron and Boozer and Caden yes. Boozer are the two Suns. I think it's is it Cameron the better one? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think it's Cameron. <laughs> Cameron's the better one. Caden's the other one. They're twins. So yeah, okay. it looks like yeah. This article from the Spun.com says Carlos Boozer's son, uh, Cam- uh, Cameron Boozer, is, is the number one prospect. Yeah, it yeah. Look, so it looks like that would be him. It looks yeah. Like, yeah, it looks like he's getting even these other articles. He's so. fantastic. I watched bits and pieces and, and, and footage of him. He, he's fantastic. Player, he's fourteen man. years old and already six nine. Wow. Yeah, but he's fantastic. <sighs> he's a fantastic player to watch. He yeah. really is. He can shoot. He can get to the hole. Uh, he, he's doing all the things. He, he's fantastic. He's fun to watch. He really That's is. a perfect star for the modern game, too, yeah. with all these big men that can shoot. You know, now. it's so funny. I'm, 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 and I, I don't even know why I'm wasting my time working, reading this. Jeff has nothing good to say. He's always trying to attack. You know, it, it's so funny. He doesn't stop. He, he, doesn't, he is an immature little baby. He really is. He's a little kid. I don't even know why anybody would even pay any mind to this guy. He, he really is a child. Instead of adding some good content to this thing, he's just attacking everything. I, was saying. I, I, I don't even want to waste my time. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to pay attention to what he has to say because, honestly, I don't even I, – I, the best thing that possibly could happen is he'd never call the show again because I don't want to hear his crap because if he doesn't have anything to good to say, he shouldn't be speaking. And the immature person is him. He is the immature person. There is nobody I've ever seen on any feed in any sports radio show that acts like this kid. And he's not even a kid. He's a man. He's a grown man that acts like a child. It just, it just mind boggles me who he is. 
Here comes the crying. Hey, Jeff, there's no crying. The crybaby is you. How about this, Jeff? We're going to do this now. Let's schedule a fight between me and you, okay? Me and you. Let's go to Rhode Island. Whenever you go fly to Rhode Island, I will challenge you. Not, well, I'm not Tyler. I'm not the Beave. Your little baby ass. Any day, any time. You come up to Rhode Island, I will drive up there. I will drive up there, bud, and I will kick the living daylights out of you. And I will put you in the hospital because you don't deserve to talk and open your mouth. You like to pick on people that can't challenge you? Well, I'm challenging you, bud. I'm challenging you. Let's see if you accept the challenge that you think. You were scaring Tyler. You were scaring everybody. Come to me, babe. Come to me. Any day, bud. Any day. Six foot three, 300 pounds. I will knock you on your fat ass. Okay? So any day. I'm challenging you. I'm going to give you, I'll give you a, a couple of weeks to decide that. You could put it on your board. Any day, bud. Any day. Any day, dude. I'm, I'm challenging you. You like to challenge Tyler because you know Tyler, Tyler won't take your challenge. Take my challenge, buddy. I'll bet you $5,000 you'll be down and out in a minute. A minute. A minute. I will tap you out in a minute. That's it. That's all I need. I'll even bet you I'll tap you out in a minute. Snook says, can we have Kenny be the ref and the beef be a ring girl? Take that on for a, a challenge, buddy. Take that on. I'm not scared of your big mouth and you're, you're going to open your mouth like you're going to challenge me, bud. <laughs> I'll never challenge anyone. Yeah, dude, you challenged Tyler because you knew Tyler didn't want you. And he knew, you knew he didn't want to fight you. He's scared of you. I'm not scared of you, buddy. I'm far from scared of you. Okay? And you, you like to talk and you like to troll people and you're a tough guy. You're a real tough badass. Well, Mr. Badass, any day... Any time, any place, you come up here to Rhode Island, I will be on the next ferry over, and I will make sure we videotape me kicking your you-know-what, okay? And everybody wants to see it? You can send this to Carl. You can send it. Watch how big of a chicken Jeff is. He won't take this challenge. He won't. You know why? Because he knows what's going to happen. Speedy, you know what's going to happen. I think we all know what's going to happen because he's a chicken. That's what he is. And that's all. I don't have to make no chicken sound. You like to make chicken sounds to Tyler. Because Tyler, Tyler can't fight his own battles. But me, I'm sitting here right now. Hey, t- you're, you're four inches taller than me. And you're about, I don't know, 60 pounds more than me. I'm still going to kick your ass. Okay? Still going to kick your ass. That's how, that's how positive and sure I am. And it's not going to take me more than a minute to knock you out. I can tell you that. So I'm I'm not even going to have to knock you. I'm not even going to throw a punch. I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to put you to sleep. That's it. You're done. You're over. And you're not going to take the challenge because you're a chicken. That's what you are, a chicken. And you can send this. You can take this. Cut this out in in video feed, Speedy, because I'm going to send this out to everybody, telling everybody that I challenged the great Jeff, the tough guy Jeff, on my radio show, and I'm going to show everybody how big of a chicken he really is. He won't take the challenge. And I'll, tell, and I'll bet you, I'll bet you whatever you want. I'll bet you five grand. I'll bet you 10 grand. I'll bet you 30 grand that you don't have a chance against me. You could bring your buddies too. That's all I'm going to say about that. I don't even know why I waste my time. 
He's just, I am amazing. I am amazing. I am the king. I am the king until somebody knocks me off. And don't bring up the beef because he, you know what? I think the beef could take you too. I do. Yeah, but, but you'll challenge the beef because you think you have a chance against the beef. But you won't take my challenge. No, because you know what's going to happen. You know. I know what's going to happen. I'm, I, I, I'm willing to bet my whole life on it what's going to happen. That's all I'm going to say because he's a tough guy on, on the feed. He's a tough guy. He's a troll. He's a tough guy. You know, he texts me when I'm in, the, I'm in the hospital getting, you know, planning a colonoscopy because I might be sick. Okay? Yeah, he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy when he's bothering me and, and trolling me when I'm taking care of my health. Okay? But when it comes down to it, he's a nobody. He's a nobody who talks a lot of crap. Go bet your life away, bud, because that's all you are. Anyways, um, LeBron James gets a two-year, $97.1 million contract, Speedy. Uh, Interesting, it makes LeBron James the highest-paid player in NBA history. What are your thoughts? The Lakers had to do that because of all the other circumstances that were involved in that. Them potentially trading Anthony Davis, we heard. Them potentially, uh, them most likely trading or buying out Russell Westbrook at this point in the offseason. But nevertheless, we heard the situation with his son, too. Uh, the, the, he wants to go play with his son the last couple of years of his career. So the Lakers, they didn't know if they were going to be able to draft him because we don't know how good he's going to be. And the Lakers don't have a lot of draft picks anyway. So there's only one way they could have sweetened the deal is that you're going to have to pay him a lot more. So the extension comes at the end of this year after his contract and then he gets two years about 45 million dollars a year it's a power move for lebron in order to get his money too because he's already he already is a billionaire the first athlete to make a billion dollars worth of earnings in his career but also add even more to it now adding 45 million dollars these last two years which he could definitely play at this point so far lebron yes he's had some injury issues towards the end of his career okay but they're only been minor so far there hasn't been anything significant so i think it'll make it worth it for the lakers and keep that lakers vibe strong the last couple of years because LeBron is going to want to bring players in. Whether, whether it works or not, we know GM LeBron in the past has always had his issues with bringing veteran guys. Mm-hmm. That's another question, but it'll at least make it an attractive destination still. So the Lakers, they knew what they had to do. They had to make this move in order to have any shot at keeping him. Whether or not they get Bronny Jr. is another question, but still, they had to do this in order to make it work. I think it's very interesting the way the, way the Lakers work, and they want to make sure that LeBron James is happy, so they, they want to overpay him because obviously he has already come out and said that when Bronny, if Bronny gets drafted, which we believe he will, right. it could be a second round, it could be a first round. We have to see where he he's going to go play college ball first first year. Maybe he goes and plays in the G League for one year yeah. and takes the money. I doubt he. His father's multi billionaire. Why does he need the money? I heard uh, Oregon was already offering him an NIL deal too. Like yeah. already over there. I'm sure it'll, yeah. it'll make a lot of money. He's yeah. gonna he's gonna get a lot of money. The, the question is when you look at the big picture and where LeBron James is at and and what he's looking for. I mean LeBron James's son looking for, which is Bronny. Uh, I think LeBron James knows what he wants and, and where he wants to go in the long run. He wants to finish his career with wherever Bronny goes. Now, Bronny could, if he's a top draft pick, he's going to go to a crappy team. So the right. question is, what, you know, in the predicament that the the Lakers are in now, they, they, they overpaid Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis so far has been a bust. He's been an absolute bust. Yeah. Since he's come to the Lakers. Now, he won a championship, but that was in a short year. That was in the COVID year. A lot of people not even giving the Lakers the credit that they deserve winning that championship, which I think they deserve it. Right. 
But the question is, when you look at the situation of where the Lakers are at the growth of, the growth of the team and where they're going, they have no future. They have none. So LeBron James just t- took this two-year extension because in two years, his son will be in the draft. If you look at it, LeBron's son is a senior next year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then next year after that, he's playing one year of college, uh, college ball. And then after that second year, he's a free agent. Mm-hmm. And that's when LeBron James is going to see where his son goes and he's going to jump on it. I think LeBron James knew what he was doing. The, the Lakers are going to do everything they can to make LeBron James happy. Um, I, think they, I, I think if LeBron James was a team player on this, I would have taken less money and made sure that that money went to another player. That's what I, I would have done. If, you, if you're trying to win now, I think LeBron James should have taken less money. I, I mean, I, I, again, when you, you're comparing contrasting some of the great players of all time, and he wants to win six like you know Michael Jordan, and, and Steph Curry looks like he's going to have another good team this year. They could win another championship. That could be five for Steph. Even though LeBron and Steph are not even the same boat. No. I, I, don't, I don't know why anybody thinks that they are. LeBron James is on a whole nother level than Steph Curry. And I don't know why anybody would even think to put him in the same realm as LeBron. But, again, there's a lot of Steph Curry fans, and they, they, they think because of the four championships and the MVPs that he won and, and the accolades that he got, it's, it's all about you know Steph Curry and LeBron James. Those are the two. Steph Curry isn't the second-best player in the league. And LeBron's not the best player in the league anymore. Not right now. No. Right now. But, uh, I, I mean— Still top five, though. Yeah, 100%. Top four. Okay, I, I would say the Greek freak number one right now because of his consistency. Yeah, um, Luka Doncic probably two. I don't know about Luke. Uh, I would say um, what's it, uh, what's the kid's name? A uh, Joker. Joker. Okay. Uh, Joker as the number two. Uh, then I would say Luka, Luka uh, three. Right. And I think four. You know, LeBron, KD. Le- after LeBron that. and KD. I think that's okay. where it is. I think that's where it's at right now. All I right. mean. I mean, John Moran is moving up. I yeah. think John Moran could be in the top five by the end of next year. He'll need a healthy season yeah. like, consistently the whole time. And way, he's got to but... take his team further in the playoffs. Yeah. He's got to show that he can do it. And I think when he does, I, I think a lot of players are going to want to play with him. Oh, he's yeah. fantastic. That's, an, that's another potential hotspot destination down the road, too. Because yeah. we were talking about it. Ironically, we had Kevin Ray on last week. I, yep. We were talking about it the first time we had him on. Like these warm weather climates, these bigger, not bigger cities, but still kind of big cities that are still good markets mm-hmm. that might be able to get that. We already seen that happen with Phoenix. Maybe Memphis is that next kind of team because they have a good fan base over there, too. Tennessee, you got warm weather over there. Memphis is a city that people love to go to, too. So that might be that next team with John Morant if he has that incentive. Yeah, and, and again, we don't know what's going to happen this year and, and, and where some of these teams are going to be. I mean, last year the Jazz, you know, they were a fifth seed. Now Jazz, the Jazz lose Rudy Gobert. He goes to the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves could be a powerhouse this year yep. with the players they have over there. And, and, and now Donovan Mitchell wants out. So the Jazz are going to be a rebuilding team. So they could fall all the way down to like the, the worst team in the West, or the right. second wor- second the worst team in the West. So, again, you jump ship, and again, Jeff and Snug are talking about baseball. When we, we're not even talking about baseball. We're talking about basketball. We're not even talking about the Knicks. We're talking about the Lakers. We're talking about the league. And, but we're, we're always talking about New York sports. So the, the, that's where the trolling begins over there. Um, but I, I think when you look at where – the NBA is going, and some of these young superstars that are start slowly but surely taking over the league. I think the NBA is in a good position. I just think, uh, I think the three point shot has ruined the game. I really do, and I think the NBA, I think, need to push back the three point line. 
I think that would make sense because that, that would make players want to get into the paint and do things more in the paint because if you're shooting threes. Now, I, I mean, there are a lot of guys that have good range. Luka Doncic has good range. Steph Curry has good range. Klay Thompson has good range. Some of these guys have great range. Pretty but young, yeah. yeah, they have great range, but not everybody does. And you're forcing threes. If you, if you push the line back, I don't know, two inches, three inches, it makes it harder. It makes you makes it harder to shoot those threes and force those threes up. Where I think it'll open up the game and open up the the paint. Snug's right. How about a four point line? I was advocating for that. Yeah. Too, yeah. Why, how about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, but does that ruin the game? You know? Cause yeah. Because you're shooting four point shots. I mean, if you hit what is it twenty four pointers? What what's the average number of that? Forty. I'm, I'm trying to mathematics is not so my 20, thing. So 20 times four is eighty. So so if you hit twenty points. shots, you were, you already scored eighty points. Yeah. So I mean, I it, they would have to push the the line back pretty far. Right. I mean, I, at least five inches. And there might be only maybe twelve guys in the league that can make that shot on a consistent basis. Anyway, if they were to put it push it to half court, uh, like Steph Curry, like somebody like Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, guys like that, there's only going to be a certain amount that can make that kind of shot as it is. No, but I think it's a good it's a good idea. I think it, uh-huh. it's something very interesting where the NBA. But again, that changes the way the NBA, you know, the NBA was and what it is today. I mean, but I, I think it makes sense. I, I think adding a four point line, maybe maybe something like that, or pushing the three-point line a little bit back where it makes people get into the paint. It makes the dominance of some of these players because it ruined Dwight Howard's career. I sure. mean, I mean, this three-point line has ruined Dwight Howard. Right. People forget how dominant Dwight Howard was, you know, in the league before this all happened with this whole Steph Curry thing. Mm-hmm. And now even some of the big men that we forget how talented these guys are because now if you can't shoot a three – you know, you can't be in the – you're not starting. You're not right. going to play. You're not going to get any time. And even what I was saying this with some of our basketball analysts, too, about the pure point guard, too, a lot of that is dying out, too. Yeah. If, you, if you're just a passer that could yeah. just move around, yeah, you're going to have some value, but it's not going to be the same as Absolutely. Once it, it once was when you had all these guys get these massive assist totals. Uh, I'm not even talking about, like, the greatest point guards of all time, guys like Darren Collison that averaged nine assists a season that, yep. that wasn't great all around like it is now. Like, you have to be very good all around, and that's why the league is developing into kind of more of a wing that could ball handle or a big man that could shoot a little bit of versatility mixed into that scheme. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting. I think the bigger problem the NBA has, though, is the way they've changed a lot of these rules, though, too, to accommodate for that kind of thing. I don't know if it's as much of the three-pointers as much as it is those rules that give these offensive players a benefit, and that's the problem we've seen with the NFL, too, with these wide receivers getting all the calls when they shouldn't and yeah. pass interference, and that is a bigger problem the NBA has. And also, when we had Tim Alcorn on the show, he was mentioning, too, like these – Guys take it recklessly, even if there's a breakaway, a fast break two-on-one, right. when they don't necessarily have to, or they they try to go to the, they should try to go to the line more often, and they don't. And a lot of those rules accommodate for that kind of thing. Well, and that's why I think the NBA is going to have to figure something out with this, because it hasn't made the game better. People are complaining about the way the game – there are a lot of basketball fans that don't even watch basketball anymore because of the way the game is. And, and the, regular season means, the regular season means nothing now. Right. It means nothing. It, it, it's just – it's obviously you – know, obviously teams like the Knicks are selling out st- you know, stadiums because it's not, it's not because they love the Knicks. It's not because it's a great destination to watch great basketball. It's because it's a place to be the world's most famous arena that people want to be there. People go to Lakers games to watch LeBron James, not because of the Lakers. They want to watch LeBron James play. It's, it's, it's really a game of stars now. It's not a game of teams. Right. You know what I mean? And I think it's, it's definitely changed the game. Right. I mean, when I watched basketball, 
in the 90s, even with the, the uh, 90s Bulls and the 90s Knicks, you know, and, and even the, the, the Orlando Magics of, you know, obviously with uh, um, Penny Hardaway and to Shaquille O'Neal and uh, the players that they had over there. And, and I think that the game has transitioned. Now, a lot of people think it's, it's helped the game for, for what, what Steph Curry has brought to the game. I think it's ruined the game. I think it's affected the game and the growth of the game or where the game should be. And I, I think that the NBA needs to figure out, and even with this, and I've, I've talked about this with uh, over, the, over the last couple of months, I think it was Jeff. I'm not positive who I spoke about this, but um, with the, uh, the money situation and, and what these, these players are making, and, and now all of a sudden you're, you're trying to build these trios, these three, team, right. you know, three top teams. And now, now teams are figuring out a new, you know, a new scientific way or a mathematical way of doing this and that's having two superstars and building a bench that you know can compete to give you like 40 points a game and if you can get 40 points a game from your bench you got a chance to win every single game so they should call that scientific theory how not to be the Brooklyn Nets I'm I'm just I'm just saying you know because I'm looking at the way the NBA and it's a game of you know mathematical equations It, it really is because uh, LeBron James thought he can change the game by making it a, a you know a, a three-player team, and you add a bunch of veterans to veteran minimals to a team that already is good because of the three players, and and you can win championships, which it did work for them. It didn't work for everybody. It, it, it didn't work for it only worked for him really. Like there's no other team well, uh, or, and Golden State Golden technically, State, but they yeah. also had a lot. Of, they also drafted and developed. Yeah, but a they lot added of those guys. They too. added also one of the greatest players right. of our era. Right, but still, like LeBron is probably LeBron he team had like Mike Miller coming off the bench and like Mario Chalmers like these guys weren't great uh, who's the guy that lost his shoe like those guys like those guys weren't anything special uh, Adonis Haslam is like 40 years old still on that heat from that team like the <laughs> other superstars have not been able to do that right. and been able to win on a consistent basis Golden State they, yes when they brought in Kevin Durant they got rid of Harrison Barnes they got rid of a couple of their big men understandable mm-hmm. but a lot of those guys they were still able to keep they still had a pretty deep team I'm talking about a team like the Lakers in 2020 that had all those veterans that just randomly broke out at random times type thing like that th- kind of thinking has only worked with LeBron and now you're seeing it fail in other places AKA the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I, and that's why I think the transition of where the game is and and where the game could be, you know, in the in a couple of years with the new CBAs and and the new players union agreements, I, I I'm interested to see what the NBA does and and how they're, you know, Adam Silver is going to figure that because the new you know TV deals that they're getting is yeah. ridiculous. Uh-huh. I mean, I, you're talking about the NBA, you know. Um, what is it? The money totals? Uh, what these revenue, t- yeah. revenue that yeah. they're going to get? I think it's going to go up fifteen million wow. or something like that. Damn! I mean, that's ridiculous. It, it really is. And there's so much money to be made, you know, with you know, with professional sports. And every single year it goes up and up and up and up. And with the, you know, even with the Super Bowl, I, I and I, I'm I'm a firm believer of what these you know these commercials cost. You know, during the Super Bowl, you're hearing that one commercial for like what? What is it? Like a minute? Is selling at the Super Bowl for one point two, one point three million dollars. Yeah, and there's all their other incentives built. That I actually did a, I did a project on it when I was in college because it was the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl went to overtime, which was the first time in NFL history that that happened. They actually got 
extra money because of that too. It, airing another thing that could air in overtime, they got more benefit off of that. So mm. it's definitely interesting how that worked. But yeah, the NBA TV deals are insane considering, like you were saying, yeah. the regular season doesn't matter a lot of the time because there's too many playoff teams and a lot of games. Mm. It, it's interesting, and I think that where the way the leagues are transitioning, and and again, I you you can't shoot at the guy that's trying to do what everything the owner the owners want them to do. I I'm not a Goodell fan, but it's not only Goodell. It has a lot to do with ownership. I am I'm not an Adam Silver fan anymore because he's let LeBron James run rampant and run this league. And I'm not a big fan of Gary Bettman over the years because Gary Bettman has tried to uh, make excuses on the way that he's driven the league to certain aspects of where the game has really driven to from the 90s. And and then obviously on and on and on and on if we go through all the commissioners in sports. It, it, we all know about Rob. I know Manfred. you had trouble with the UFC guy. So. Yeah. Oh, Dana White? Yeah. Oh, forget about it. Dana White. It, uh, there are people, there are guys that are signed to the UFC right now. And after, I forget what it was, uh, Friday night, um, the, uh, the weekend, uh, what do they call it, UFC night, uh, fights. I, I think it was Rockfold, uh, Rockfold, Rockhold that said something about Dana White, and uh, he said that Dana White has ruined the, the the fighting game. And one of the reasons why is is that these fighters have a limited amount of time to fight and have the opportunity to fight, and he doesn't want to pay these guys. Now, the UFC was sold for four billion dollars. To IMG, I think it was the company, and and obviously IMG is Tom Brady. A lot of people bought into uh, the product of the UFC since they sold the product. The product has gone down, you know, when it went really from the growth of what it was, and and then you heard different things from Conor McGregor and some of these different fighters that wanted to be uh, wanted a piece of the UFC when it was getting sold, and and that was their deal of you know renegotiating their fighting deals of what he was getting because of his fandom and and the people that were following him. I think they you know with sports it's all about money and, and listen there's nothing be- nothing worse uh, nothing to attack a uh, you know a fighter or a player for trying to get their money. I am not attacking them at all. I respect them for t- they should get whatever they they can possibly get out of the sport because of what these owners are getting and what the you know what they're bringing and generating in. Mm-hmm. What bothers me is that in the the world of fighting and I'm not talking about prize fighting boxing in the UFC, they have absolutely disrespected the fighters. Disrespect. Dana White has disrespected the fighters. Now, I know a lot of our former players yeah. that we've had on the with the NFL mm-hmm. have brought up Roger Goodell and mm-hmm. the concussion, like the yep. post-career stuff. Does yep. the UFC have that same problem, too? Because I know they've had injuries. The UFC right now is trying to figure out a deal where the fighters can get benefits. They still don't have full benefits. Wow. And yeah, it, they've bad. been fighting. These fighters have been fighting that. And slowly but surely, I think that's going to happen. It, it's slowly negotiating. Now, if if you're fighting on a card, you do have benefits for that card, okay? Now, the, now they're negotiating deals where if you're fighting on the card, you break your arm or you break your leg, they'll cover it. But if you're training for that fight and you get hurt, you're oh, not covered. Jeez, that's so it, it, it's I it, it's a lose lose for one of these fighters because you know you get kicked in the leg, you get your you know knees you know smashed out or one of those things. Uh, you're talking about uh, you know years. Worth of sitting on your ass, tearing your ACL, and you're not getting paid for it. At least football players, they're under contract. They're still going to get paid for you know tearing their ACL or their Achilles or something like that or breaking their ankles. I think it's horrible. 
It's horrible the way these fighters are getting treated. Snuck says the fighters need to negotiate better. They have enough people that think their money's worth it to fill a car. So supply and demand says Dana is right. Dana is right. Dana is not right. Supply and demand. If these fight, if these fighters actually step out and you know go on strike, where where is supply and demand? Who are you going to bring in? Dana White has problems fighting fighters right now. He has. There is no top end fighters right now in the UFC. There's Uzma. John Jones hasn't fought in three years. He's the number one fighter right now in the the fight game. He is ranked number one in the UFC, and he hasn't fought a fight in three years. Okay, that tells you how stupid Dana White is. And what is it going to do? It's going to ruin the fight game. It is ru- it's ruining it now, and there is no negotiation. What's he saying? What is Jeff saying? Uh, I say let Earl negotiate for them. He knows all. Well, I don't know all, but I, I think I'd be a better negotiator with some of these things, and I'm not a lawyer, Just and not I don't Conor know McGregor. the laws. <laughs> Just not Conor McGregor. <laughs> no, I, I don't know the laws to the way to negotiate this deal, but oh, okay. I, I could say this. With all the laws and, and, and all the different things when you're fighting in certain cities and certain you know states. Countries, too. I and imagine, countries yeah. and stuff like that. There has to be an understanding of where and what these players should get. Dana White is absolutely wrong. And Snug, you're probably the only person. Well, maybe you're just trolling. Maybe you're the only person that actually believes that. Because if you know anything about fighting and you know anything about going through and putting your body on the line every single time... These fighters should be getting paid. They shouldn't be making $10,000 a fight because they're on the undercard, okay? And the, even the top-end fighters on the overcard, they're not making – they're making like two, three hundred thousand. They're not even making a million dollars. When a prize fighter you never even heard is in the main event, a main event for a fight, not even for a title, he's making $1.5 okay? So don't tell me that Dana is supply and demand. Dana White is wrong, okay? Dana White has robbed these fighters, Dana White took his 12% and sold it to IMG and made $250 million off of it. Okay? Now, did he build the UFC for what it is? Yes, he did. He helped build the UFC. But just because you help it, you can help build something and take it completely down. And the economics, and what does he say? No, no not, not trolling. trolling. Economics tells us something is only worth what something else is willing and Guess able what? to pay. What is the UFC worth? What is it worth? They paid it. They paid the five billion dollars. It's gone down. It's gone down. There is no Conor McGregor. Well, when was the last time Conor McGregor? Do you you go look at the sales of uh, of the pay per views? How far they've gone down since Conor McGregor and John Jones hasn't fought on the card and Anderson Silver? Yeah, it's probably what a year and a half since he had that leg injury. It, it, it's been horrible. Yeah. Okay, to sit here and say it's supply and demand. UFC is trying to make shows right now on YouTube, having Matt Serra. Matt Serra, okay, go and search Dana with Dana White all over the country trying to find the next superstar, and they still can't find him. They still can't find him, okay? So don't tell me supply and demand. It's not there anymore. It isn't there anymore. So stop saying that Dana White's right. He's wrong. And when he figures that out and we realizes that the fighters are the most important part of the growth of the organization and, and fighters see that they're getting paid, you're going to see more fighters wanting to fight. I'm sorry if I'm a fighter. I'm boxing. <laughs> I'll, I'll box. I'll be on an undercard as a pay-per-view, you know, a heavyweight, a heavyweight or, I don't know, a middleweight or a cruiserweight. And I'm going to make on, on a card like $300,000 and I'm not even a top-end fighter. 
But these guys, uh, you know, the top-end fighters in these divisions, the only people that make money are Conor McGregor and John Jones. Khabib made some money. I think I think in his years of fighting as a, as a champion, Khabib made like $4 million or something. Out of all the fights that he fought in the UFC, I think it was like 11 or 12, and he was undefeated. He made like $4 million. Is that the one that was stuck in Russia? Yes. Okay. His father died. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. And he retired. Okay. Uh, Snook says the fighters who signed the 10K contract have agreed that's enough money for them to perform. Yeah, they're only doing it because right now most of those guys, go look at the fighters and where they're from. Snug, go look at where they're from. They're from the ghetto. It's the only thing. Those guys are fighting for peanuts because they just need, they need to make ends meet. And by the way, that $10,000 don't even pay their trainers. That don't even pay their trainers. And I, how do I know this? Because I was a fighter. And I know. I wasn't a professional fighter, but I've been around professionals. Anybody know Kenny Florian? I, I don't know. Clay, Clay Guida. Does anybody know who he is? I've talked about some of these fighters. I've been around all of them. Uh, Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman, uh, you know, he's, he was at one point, he was, the, he was a top-end fighter. He was a, the top-end 185 fighter, 185-pound fighter. When he was when he beat Anderson Silva, if everybody remembers that at two of I think it was two of five that he beat Anderson Silva or one eighty five that he beat Anderson Silva, you know how much money he made for that fight. And then when he fought him a second time, you know how much money he made for that fight? Like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. How are you? You're you're fighting. You're fighting for the championship. You're beating the best fighter in the world, and you made a hundred. And the best fighter in the world made a million dollars. Sorry. That doesn't make sense. Supply and demand, that's not a sell to me. That doesn't sell me. Dana White needs to do the right thing, and he hasn't done it. And that, that goes for all sports. I think when you look at the game and you look at all the transition of what these games have turned into be, and, 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 and some of these commissioners, whatever they friggin' are now, promoters. I mean, boxing promoters have robbed fight. Look, look at Don King, what he did to Mike Tyson. Don King stole hundreds of millions of dollars from Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson was stupid. He didn't know the value of a dollar. Mike Tyson's still a millionaire, and Mike Tyson talks about it on his podcast all the time. I I stick up for the fighters. I stick up for the players. I stick up for that. They deserve every penny that they deserve. These guys, these owners, they're making millions of dollars on and off the court. They don't need the money. They don't need anything. that They, they buy the team because they, they get the extra money that the league gives them at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And they can claim it. And yet some still haven't evolved. And those franchises are going to be stuck, just like we were talking about with the Browns. And, and, and what, what does he say? Supply, supply and, and demand versus, versus Dana what Dana should, should do. do are miles apart, two very different Okay, arguments. supply and demand. Well, I'll tell you what, Snug. Go do your research. Go look at the last pay-per-view that broke records, okay? Broke records for the UFC and how much money they've brought and tallied in. I'm willing to bet you that in the last past year and a half, they haven't even come close, okay? How about this? Since they sold the UFC, go look at it. Since they sold the UFC, besides Conor McGregor's cards, go look at the numbers. Tell me what you think. 
There's no lies in those edits. Supply and demand. There's nothing supply and demand. Go look at the last card, the pay-per-view card that was up. It was horrible. 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 The Nunez card, horrible card. You're going to sit here and tell me supply and demand? Get out of here. Anyways, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank 495, uh, Ben, Carrie, obviously Al Brown, and uh, Gerald Filardi for joining us. They were fantastic. They gave us some good insight. Um, thank all the fans, uh, even the fans that drive me off the wall, uh, you know, the ones that think that they know everything and like to attack people for, you know, even not having some simple, you know, beings, uh, understanding of what's going on in somebody's life. They're all about themselves, but that's, that's okay. You know, it's, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not here to, uh, entertain idiots like that, but. I, all in all, I, I really appreciate all the fans that tune in to us and, and, and give us the time and, 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 and the energy that we try to give to them. I really appreciate it. And uh, Tune in next week. Also, tune in to the Weekend Crunch on Saturday at 7 p.m. Uh, if you don't live here on Long Island uh, and you can't listen to a 103.9 FM, you can go to iHeartRadio and look up LI News Radio, and we are live um, what is he saying? Just because their pay-per-views are small, it does not mean they, they are. aren't profitable. Yeah, well, they are profitable. They're profitable for Dana White. They're not profitable for the fighters. And you want to know something? You're wrong. It's not. And for you to sit here and, and cheer for what Dana White is doing, you know, you, you think all these these athletes are, you know, they they're due for their money and they deserve all the money they get. But you're you you think Dana White's Dana White's right for what he's doing to the fighters? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Snug. Makes a lot of sense. By the way, um, and this is a guy with a PhD or whatever the heck he has, master's degrees. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, shows you how bright he is. Anyways, um, uh, again, thank you to four ninety five. Thank you to all the fans that tune into us. We really appreciate everything that you guys, uh, you know, the time and the energy that you give to us. It's, I, I just, I, I feel, I feel like, uh, you know, every time we do this, I, I, I every time I get off the show, I, I really. I enjoy entertaining people, even, like I said, even the people that I just can't stand, you know. So uh, keep listening to us, uh, Weekend Crunch and uh, the Sports Lab Miles. Listen to all our shows, and we really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week, uh, as always, on Tuesday at 9 p.m. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.